Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. TV producer Shonda Rhimes says she's moved on following the outrage surrounding the New York Times description of her as, quote, an angry black woman back in September. But the controversy is continuing to feed a meaningful conversation about how newsrooms handle diversity and racism, not only with their story treatments, but also with their staffing. My first guest today says she's quitting mainstream media because she's tired of newsroom racism. Rebecca Carroll is a writer, editor, and author of several nonfiction books. Over the years, she has held staff positions as a TV producer and as an editor for a number of online publications. She recently wrote a piece in The New Republic about her decision to move away from mainstream media, explaining it's a strange and an incredibly demoralizing time to be a black person in American media. Rebecca Carroll joins me now from our studio in New York City. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. So you've been a journalist for more than 15 years. So first of all, uh, take me back. What was it like for you uh, as a black woman in a primarily white male-dominated field when you first got into journalism? Oh, I was so excited. (laughs) I had this great opportunity, and I was uh, very ambitious and had all sorts of ideas. And uh, and, uh, in particular, I recall this, this one that I talk about in my piece, this one incident where we had a black, a rather famous black actor coming on and I volunteered to produce the segment in part because I knew from experience that coming into an all-white newsroom or an all-white environment, it's really nice and welcoming to see another brown or black face. Mm-hmm. Um, and my white male coworker said to me, and it was, this was at a staff meeting, you know, when, you, when we pitch ideas and so forth, he said, you know, just because you're black doesn't mean that you can produce all of the black segments. And in that moment, it felt to me like... Um, Wow, <laughs> I, I really just thought it would be a, a a nice opportunity for me, obviously, and and because I have followed this 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 actor's work and thought I could do a good job. Um, but it was clear that this that this coworker was gonna was gonna let me know right then and there. Don't you try to use your race because I'm gonna use it first. And that was certainly something you you you're, you weren't prepared for. What else were you not? prepared for in the newsroom? Well, I mean, I think I've noticed it um, increasingly in the, in, you know, in, in recent years, partly because I'm a, a mother um, of a son, partly because of what has happened um, and what we are covering uh, as as chroniclers of, of society. Um, but I think in, in a lot of it comes from what I like to call um, post-racial racism, which is perpetuated by those who only those who believe we are living in a post-racial uh, society, which mm-hmm. is that we have your black president, so I don't really need to be careful about the things that I say to you. For example, uh, you know, in, in I had a white boss say to me, but you certainly can't or don't 
experience racism because you're attractive and educated. Um, and that sort of sums up the idea of what racism means to a lot of um, white liberal and also um, uh, white folks in general is that racism is only perpetuated on uneducated, impoverished black people. Um, and that is just th this kind of relaxed, this relaxation around what racism means um, has really been uh, startling and puzzling to me. So, but you, you say this has been something that's happening, been happening uh, in your like career since you essentially sure. began in a newsroom. Uh, but why have you decided to quit mainstream media now? Because I, uh, I you know, I think of it less as quitting and more as um, leaving an environment which to me had just become increasingly hostile. Um, it's more like getting out, not giving up. Uh, you know, I will always write. Um, I will always talk about this, this issue. It is something that is um, deeply, deeply meaningful to me. And it's also, you know, the reason that I went into journalism in the first place, which is that um, journalists and writers, we chronicle uh, what what we experience, how we live um, in in society, and one of the truly most disturbing narratives um, in America is the black and white slave history and racial inequality narrative. And so, you know, I mean, I, the reason, the very reason I went into journalism was to tell stories about about us and about society and about America and about ways we can. Um, be more thoughtful and and evolve and uh, and I was it was becoming clear to me that I couldn't do that effectively because uh, I was un I felt like I was being um, I was being judged not on my work but on my attitude as a black person. Context of white supremacy, justice, Gusty Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Monday, January 26th, 2015, so I have been told. Uh, I just want to make sure we get this on the record. Uh, I looked at the BBC before we went on and the top story on their page is snow emergency declared in U.S. And then uh, the next story down is uh, or they're actually the next two stories down. First one is U.S. blizzard. What is the cause of the huge snowstorm? And the next one is the effect of freezing temperatures or excuse me, the effect freezing temperatures can have on the human body. And uh, I had such a robust chuckle because here in the Pacific Northwest, it was 66 degrees today. If I could have thought of any reasonable excuse to get away from everything, I would have stayed outside all day long. It was sunny. Oh, just beautiful apps. I mean, it was like springtime in January. Uh, and it's supposed to be like that again tomorrow. So I've had a, as I said, I've just chuckled all day long knowing that people are uh, probably some of the folks listening right now are in total uh, anguish and the snow because I hate cold weather. So uh, I am living it up, loving it up and planning what I'm going to do tomorrow since it's supposed to be like this again tomorrow. Uh, this is unusual. I want to get that in. This is not typical uh, for Seattle 
weather by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we generally don't get blizzards and all that stuff. We normally get one snowstorm per winter, uh, or I won't even say snowstorm. We normally get one incident of snow, whether it's flurries, a light dusting, whatever. Uh, it happens one time generally per winter, and it doesn't even look like we're going to get our one time per winter uh, this season. But uh, lovely day in the Pacific Northwest. Anywho, the audio that you heard uh, at the beginning, uh, Rebecca Carroll, uh, she did a great piece, um, I guess it was back in November, uh, for the New Republic, uh, where she just said, uh, I'm doing a Dave Chappelle, I'm done, <laughs> I can't take it uh, anymore with regards to the racism from her uh, white colleagues in journalism. I uh, thought the piece was great. Uh, she did an interview that you just heard. Uh, where she went into more detail about some of her experiences and uh, our guest for the program. When I read her piece, it reminded me uh, a lot of that. Uh, she can let me know if I'm off base. Uh, our guest for today's broadcast, her piece, uh, was just came out on the 19th, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, uh, titled, I'm Tired of Suppressing Myself to Get Along with White People. I thought that enough was uh, right catchy, uh, and I thought it would be grand to have her on the program to give us a bit more uh, detail uh, about exactly what produced this piece. And then the response, uh, I think, as many listeners know, we talked for a while. Check out the comments. Anything folks write online, videos, anything like that, check out the comment section. It uh, often is quite rich uh, when you have... Uh, particularly whites, when they get some anonymity and they can get online and really let you know what they're thinking. It can be a regular treasure trough. So check out the uh, comments for the piece. I posted it on uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. I'll post it again in case folks didn't check it out. But it titled again, I'm tired of suppressing myself to get along with white people. Uh, you can check out her other works. Uh, it's at P Ward dot pressfolios.com I will include that on the Facebook page and Twitter as well again it is p ward dot pressfolios.com uh, you can see some of the pieces where she did uh, an album review for uh, D'Angelo's latest work uh, she also has written about the documentary film on Anita Hill, uh, as well as Angela Davis. Uh, lots of uh, great pieces, Nas's documentary, lots of great work. Uh, always great to have black journalists on the broadcast. Uh, in addition to all of the great work that I've just mentioned, she is a Washington, D.C. native. She is an alumnus from Temple University. Freelance journalist, real pleasure to have her on the broadcast. Joining us live, the super talented and lovely Miss Priscilla Ward. Uh, let me make sure I'm finding her correct line here. Hmm. I think I got her. Is whoops. <laughs> Let's see. Do we have Miss Ward? Yes. Thank you so much. How are you? Uh, I would be even better if I was still outside, but uh, I am uh, holding the sunshine <laughs> in my hands. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's the exact opposite here. I'm here in New York, and it's you know it's uh, we're preparing for the blizzard and everything, and it's 
a lot of snow and all that right now. So I'm staying warm. <laughs> mm, man. <laughs> but all is well. Right on. Have fun with all of that. <laughs> For uh, our listeners, this might be their first time hearing about your work. Uh, anything that you think folks should know about you before we get started? Well, I'm I'm originally from D.C., and then I went to Temple University where I studied journalism and theater. And um, being in Philly really inspired a lot of my work and being in that community and having the opportunity to help out with, like, a lot of, like, non-profit-y type of things right for my college newspaper. And then going, um, coming to New York and interning at Essence and freelancing at a whole bunch of other places has really allowed my work to evolve. So, yeah, so I really enjoy covering um, topics revolving around art and culture and the way um, race interplays within those those areas. Right on. Uh, for folks who have not seen you, you are a black female, is that correct? Correct. Right on. Uh, this program... <laughs> Uh, definitions. Uh, I've concluded uh, conversations, really any conversation, but particularly any discussions uh, around racism. Words, definitions are highly important. Uh, what is your definition for the term racism? Just being able to not um, see various perspectives and points of view. Um, living almost within a box and not being able to understand someone else's perspective or being willing to understand where someone else might be coming from from their point of views and then attacking those perspectives. Hmm. Okay. Not being able, almost, as you said, uh, quote-unquote, being in a box, not being able to understand mm -hmm. uh, other people's perspectives, and then mm -hmm. uh, attacking those perspectives. Mm -hmm. that you so attacking their, their identity. So whether that be their um, gender, whether that be the color of their skin, whether that be their perspective, attacking it. Hmm. Okay. Um, by the definition that you... Uh, just shared with us, would it be possible for a black person to practice racism against a white person? Um, yes, I think so. I think so. Um, I think that we don't like to identify in that sort of way. We don't like to put those sort of terms around us because, um, for so long, it's been reflected on us as we're the ones who are only capable of being racist. But um, if we're like self-segregating ourselves and putting ourselves into boxes and not able and not allowing room to have conversations with other people, that can promote room for racism. Hmm. Hmm. That is uh, that is interesting. Uh, have you have you ever practiced racism against a white person, or been accused of practicing racism against a white person or a group of white people? Not yet. I haven't. Um, based on this essay and the responses that have come out from it, um, as you've seen probably in the comment box, I have. Hmm. At this point, I have. Wow! Fascinating. Um, 
We here at the cows, I have a, a different uh, definition for racism, which is, you know, I encourage that cool in the gang. I know uh, lots of people have lots of different definitions uh, for the term racism, but I at least like to get that out front. So I know the other person's perspective. <laughs> so I know what, mm-hmm. what they mean when they use the term and they know that I have a different concept. Uh, my definition for racism, uh, well, one, I use the term racism as a synonym with the term white supremacy. I use the same definition for both terms. Uh, that definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Um, Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Most definitely. I think it plays itself out on a day-to-day basis when we walk out the door. Um, We have to kind of suppress ourselves in our day-to-day experiences, whether that be in work, whether that be in school. Um, Yes, most definitely white supremacy plays itself out everywhere. Hmm. Okay. Um, I just point this out before we get into some of your writing um, with regards to uh, what you were saying about uh, black people. We, I guess, not typically thinking that black people can practice racism. And sometimes if we, Uh, self-segregate or don't allow for conversations with white people or other folks who are not black, that that could be a form of black people practicing racism. Um, I take the perspective that that is a response to white supremacy. Uh, If black people are quote unquote self-segregating, we're talking about a planet, not just here in the United States. We're talking about worldwide where white people have deliberately and consciously uh, warehoused black people, restricted where they could live, restricted where they could go to school. Uh, We even had a guest on the program who was talking about doing World War II, where 2,000 white women went on strike in Michigan because they did not want, and I mean, it was like six black females, to be hired to come work for uh, an auto plant to help make munitions uh, for World War II, they went on strike because they didn't want these but six <laughs> black females to come work there. They didn't want them using the toilet. They didn't want them using the cafeteria. Uh, that black people doing this, uh, or really any non-white people doing this, is a response to ongoing white supremacy racism. Uh, I just, uh, In my view, I, I just don't think it's accurate to, to label that as, as racism. Does that, does that seem logical? Does that make sense? To call ourselves racist? Um, I think it's it's possible, and I think that your perspective is valid as well, but I think that we, too, sometimes can be... Sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, I'm not allowing room for this other person's perspective. I'm attacking them. I don't even know where they came from. Um, I think that sometimes we can be racist. That's, that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Right on, right on. I I also just wanted to get this one point in as well really quick before we move on. Um, The word power, I know people frequently use the term white privilege, and I I do not, in fact, make every effort to discourage the use of that term because I don't think it's accurate. I think it's very important that uh, people are accurate when we talk about racism, white supremacy, um, that it is white power, that black people 
even if that is happening, and I, I don't know that it is, but even if that is happening where black people are, are saying that we're not going to uh, validate someone else's perspective or even listen to what they have to say or, quote unquote, attack their perspective, I am not aware, uh, really anywhere on the planet, I am not aware of black people having the ability, the power to attack white people, meaning keeping them from getting jobs keeping them from getting employment, keeping them from getting access to medical care, loans, restricting their ability to travel. I'm just not aware that black people have the power, the ability to attack white people in that manner. I see it the other way around where white people have that power and do that all day long, all over the planet. Uh, are you aware? Have you seen where black people have that ability to restrict white people, attack white people where they're keeping them from getting a job or going to school, medical care, that sort of thing? Most definitely, yeah. You have yeah. you have seen where black people are able to do this to white people, keep them from getting access to these type of resources. Oh no, oh, okay. not I haven't firsthand seen that or experienced that. No, it's always been the other way around. Hmm. Most definitely. That's what I've seen uh, consistently. Even the folks that we've had on the program, black and white from South Africa, have said even 2015, it's the same power dynamic uh, in that area of the world and lots of the other folks that we've had on. Um, at any rate, um, before we get to your writing, I, I wanted to ask, since you are a native of Chocolate City, D.C., uh, Mayor Marion Barry uh, just passed away a few mm -hmm. weeks back, and that was another incident that sparked a lot of reflection and commentary on racism in the nation's capital. Uh, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts, mem uh, memories of uh, Mayor Barry? Wow. Well, I was homeschooled, and then I, I had the opportunity of being involved in a lot of D.C. public school programs, um, the Marriage Youth Leadership Program, which was started by him and everything. Um, and those opportunities really allowed for almost a melting pot of kids from different parts of the city to come together and reflect and have their, from um, who had different experiences, who came from different schools and everything. So I really treasured those programs. Some of my best friends came out of those programs as well. Um, so they were great. What's your response? I guess I've seen a lot of people, uh, Mayor Barry, infamous, the episode with the crack pipe and him ultimately being uh, convicted and having to do a little bit of time around that. Uh, your response, people say, hey, this guy was was horrible uh, for black people. And that's the image uh, that folks around the world have of once you put a black person in power, this is the sort of thing that you can expect. It's just going to be uh, in total shambles. Uh, what's your response to some of the uh, less than positive commentary about uh, Mayor Barry's uh, time as mayor in D.C.? I mean, he's done so much so many good things for us, put together so many great programs for us that were not available beforehand. Um, but it's, it is hard to overlook the fact that he did have that, that legacy. It is hard sometimes to do that. Um, but he still did so much for us. Um, even though, he had that, that background. Right on. Uh, the cows, Miss Priscilla Ward, 
moving to your piece at uh, salon.com, I'm tired of suppressing myself to get along with white people. Um, you start the piece off uh, kind of letting folks know that you relocated to New York City uh, and you got roommates from Craigli uh, Craigslist, uh, two white males, uh, and then also one Chinese. It was a Chinese male. Is that accurate? I'm sorry. I said you talk in your uh, piece. You start off by saying that you you uh, relocated to New York City. Uh, you got roommates from Craigslist. Uh, it was two white males and one Chinese male. Is that accurate? One Chinese male, two white males. No, there's there's one young lady as oh, well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is the young lady yeah. is she Chinese or white? What is she? Yes, yeah, she is. She's um, Chinese. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. so it's two white males. Yeah. Chinese female and yourself. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got Correct. It. Okay. Uh, so you all had your get to know, get to know you powwow on the rooftop back in September, 2014. Can you kind of lay out for listeners what happened? Yes. So we had just moved in and everything and um, no one knew each other at all. This was all new. Um, so we kind of just like went up to the roof our little apartment and everything and just like started talking um, about just like why we came to New York, what we're doing here. And then randomly I just brought up, so what do you guys think about what's going on in Ferguson? And someone, one of them said, Oh, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, and, and that kind of like took me back and I was just like, really? How could, someone not know what is happening there like doesn't everybody know what's going on during your like twitter facebook instagram it's all over the place and then um i just started to think about that more and more and what that really means and and like how many other settings people don't really understand the fullness the totality of the black experience and it's not a fault of theirs. I always have to, you kind of have to suppress yourself and your identity inside of these settings. Even when you don't think you're suppressing yourself fully, you are. Um, so, yeah. Did you have any reason to suspect that he might not have been being truthful, that he did know about it, but this was just such a, a volatile issue that he just, you know, didn't want to talk about it. He might've felt more comfortable just saying that he didn't really know what was happening. I didn't think about that. I thought that everybody should know about this, like everybody. But there's so many other issues that I don't know about. But this is on your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, 24-hour news cycle. It's everywhere. So it was just like I, could I felt like I could ask anybody about this and they would be able to comment on it in some sort of way, but he couldn't. Hmm. Interesting. Did the, uh, I mean, it was two white males. So did the other, mm -hmm. your other white male roommate, did he know about it or did he make any comments? He did. Um, he did. <laughs> he did. He did know about it a little bit. Um, what, what, um, I was just going to ask, what were some of his comments? If you recall what he had to say. 
he was just really sad that this was happening, um, that he was just really sad. He was there. He, he wanted to know, like, how I felt about it, like, what was going, how, what was, what were the thoughts that were running through my head and everything. Hmm. Fascinating. Okay. Did, uh, I guess even before this, did you have any reservations, uh, before you moved in? Cause these are strangers, right? You said you met them or, yeah. um, Craigslist. on Craigslist. Do yeah. you have any reservations being a black female moving in with two unknown white males? Well, I didn't know until the lease was signed what would be the outcome, like who would actually be sharing the apartment with me. So before this, I had been pretty adventurous and lived with um, some people on Craigslist as well at my old apartment and everything. And um, it was an amazing experience. It was beautiful. It was like we all became great friends. It was almost like... They were like sisters and everything. And then I was just like, mm, I, I didn't really like the neighborhood. So I was like, well, maybe I'll go on Craigslist again and hope for the best. So that's how this evolved. And that's why I decided to move here out of like the same hope that it would be kind of like the same experience, not being concerned that, oh, I don't know who the next person might be. I was pretty open to the possibility of it also working out and being a great experience. Hmm. Hmm. You, uh, you write in the piece, you say it was a reminder after he, this one white male said, uh, he didn't really know what was happening in Ferguson. Um, he said it was a reminder of how much I would have to suppress in order to get along with my white male roommates in our tiny four bedroom apartment. Um, why did you, why did you feel that you would have to suppress some part of yourself as a result of him not being informed about Ferguson? I thought that maybe there were, there were other things that I have to explain. It would be more awkward than natural for me to like sit down and explain like, this is this, this is this. And it's like, you're, you're surrounded by this all the time. It consumes you because it pulls at your heart so much. Like when you come home, you don't want to have like this teaching, this kind of teaching. You just want to be able to have a dialogue with somebody or people who understand, who are on the same wavelength, who, who are out there maybe protesting and marching with you. So there was this feeling of needing to suppress myself um, to just like deny that, put that aside for a second, close my door, talk to my friends um, who understood, who were out there with me, um, not kind of break it down for somebody about like what this all means and why it's not just an isolated incident that has a deeper meaning to it. Hmm. Priscilla Ward context of white supremacy uh what would your response be to black people who might either be listening or read your piece uh who say hey you went to a historically black college university um you write about you know some of the great experiences that you've had being an intern at essence magazine and being in environments with mostly black people that you know you should have made an effort to have black roommates uh in new york 
uh, and that, you know, this sort of experience where you're with these white people and they don't know about Ferguson or may again, I suspect maybe he could have been not being truthful on saying this so that he didn't have to get into a big, uh, potentially volatile conversation to say, Hey, you, you take some of the responsibility because you could have, you know, made a, a greater effort to try to get some black roommates. What would your response be? That I was at, before all of this happened, I was open to the possibilities of living with other people with, um, with the, like the opportunity of having like a cross-cultural exchange. That's why I'm here. I'm in New York city. I'm, an extremely diverse place where there's lots of different opportunities and different people to learn from various, various experiences. But, and I still am open to those, those opportunities and, and conversations that um, being with a diversity of people can lend itself to. But, um, but this, these instances, these non-indictments um, kind of enslaved me, if you will, mentally, like, just took me back um, to thinking, okay, I can only relate about, I can only relate to my black friends about this. I can only talk to them in an open, honest way and have, like, a conversation with them um, if they're black about this. Because other people may not understand this, I've, even though I've been able to have several conversations with some of my really good uh, close white friends hmm. who have who've been able to talk to me and we've been able to have a dialogue together and they understand and all of that. So, no, I, I, I'm glad that I don't live with just black people. I think this is this is healthy, and this um, I think that these these feelings are an opportunity for me to reflect on where I am at um, in my needing to have diverse conversations that promote um, racial reconciliation, if you will, um, prompt a dialogue even though it's a really uncomfortable dialogue, it has to happen. Fascinating. Everything's not always going to be a utopia sort of situation where you're just with a whole bunch of black people all the time who are able to, like, have, like, this sort of common language, if you will, this common um, place of relatability. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, that's a, another term I, I pay attention to because I hear that used frequently. Um, "Quote unquote racial reconciliation." What do you mean when you say racial reconciliation? I mean being a, even if it only happens on a micro level, um, even if you're only able to have genuine. If it, for me, it means being able to have genuine conversations with my white friends, with anybody, being able to talk openly about these conversations so that ignorance doesn't have to persist. Um, So that I don't have to feel the need to, like, 
put aside part of myself, part of my personality, part of my interests and the things that I like to do and talk about. I want to talk about natural health. I want to talk about, um, like, the music that I like to listen to. That's fine. Those are opportunities to teach, to, to share a conversation with somebody else who may not have had those, those sorts of opportunities to experience the same things that I have had. And likewise, there's so much of, of so many things that are a part of their culture and everything that I don't know anything about. I didn't grow up inside of maybe those particular areas or do those sorts of activities. So it's an, it's an opportunity for a dialogue, um, an opportunity for veils to be taken down, for stereotypes to be dismantled. Um, that's what I mean by racial reconciliation. Even if it only happens between, like, you and your best friend who's white or between, like, five people inside of your classroom. Fascinating. I uh, just wanted to check uh, to make sure. Uh, are you using uh, speakerphone? No, I'm not on speakerphone. Oh, okay. Just making sure. Is, is it breaking up a little bit? Uh, it, well, it was crystal clear, and then it switched, but then I heard you really clear there, so I guess if you... Uh, okay. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Sounds great right there. <laughs> Whatever you just did, if you stay right there, beautiful. Um, that is interesting. I, I point this out regularly when I hear people use that term uh, racial reconciliation, uh, because the term reconciliation, uh, it suggests, and I mean, it's it's pretty explicit in the definition that it is some sort of restoration is taking place Mm -hmm. and I am not aware of black people and white people ever having any sort of healthy non-exploitative relationship or contact Mm -hmm. in this area of the world. So it would not be any Mm -hmm. sort of restoring going on. It would be trying to get to that being established for the first time ever uh, at least mm-hmm. in this area of the world, I just that term just seems uh, it seems inaccurate mm-hmm. uh, when I hear people. it would be breaking new ground. <laughs> exactly, exactly. To have <laughs> it is, yeah. That's uh, I guess that's one. And then uh, at least for me, going back to my definition of racism, white supremacy, and we do have different definitions. Um, that it's it's moving away from we're talking about white power. Uh, racial reconciliation, at least from what, and I asked other people what they mean when they use this term, it, I've never heard people talk about racial reconciliation, meaning white people are no longer terrorizing, abusing black people. There is no longer a massive power imbalance between the amount of power that white people have collectively and the amount of power that black people have collectively. I just don't hear that. Like, uh, people just saying that they want to be quote unquote friends with white people and to be able to hang out and have, you know, courteous dialogue like you can have. I'm sure that happened during uh, what they call formal plantation slavery. I'm sure that that happens where you had some black people and white people who could hang out and have a mint julep and have a great conversation and everything. But I mean, that doesn't really change uh, the power relationship between whites collectively and black people collectively. Uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Um, also, wonder, do you do you? Think- I think it can happen, though. It's going to take time. 
what it's can going happen? to take time. What can happen? I think racial reconciliation can happen. It can it can happen. It's going to take time, though. Hmm. Hmm. Do uh, Do you think that it is logical for black people, non-white people on the whole, uh, to be suspicious of white people? For black people to be suspicious of white people? Yes, ma'am. I think we are. I think everywhere that we go, we're kind of suspicious. Like, um, what, what is their, what are they aiming at? Why are they being nice to me? Why, why are they asking me these questions? Why are they curious in this way? Am I, and within that questioning, I think that we question why we're there and why we're accepted in those spaces. Um, like why was I hired, was I hired to be that black face in the room to bring my black perspective here? Was I here, am I hired here just because I'm black and to meet some sort of HR quota that, okay, our team is diverse, we're doing a good job. (laughs) I think that there's a lot of questioning, um, that happens. So if you, well, before I get there, you are suspicious of white people, Miss Ward? I, yes, all the time. Okay. I wouldn't, I, I don't like, suspicious is a really harsh word. <laughs> I would say I question sometimes. Um, it's in the back of my mind, some questions, like why am I here, like nervously, like, um, can I present my whole self? Is that, is that why they hired me, um, to like have that sort of like voice within whatever place that is? Um, if I don't bring that, am I letting them down? Um, yes, there's some, there's some questioning or suspicion, um, as you said. Hmm. Okay. That to me, that's noteworthy. Um, just, uh, you said that you are suspicious, but then you said that you don't like the term, that it seems uh, harsh, and you switched to It is harsh. <laughs> that, yeah. that, to me, would almost suggest maybe it's not suspicion. Maybe you do have some questions in your mind about what's happening, and, you know, do they have ulterior motives for why they would want to hire you or another Black person mm-hmm. or what they're doing, but just the the hesitance uh, around the term suspicion, that to me su- would suggest that either you're not very suspicious uh, or just there There seems to even be a problem associating being suspicious of white people. Um, in fact, if I had to put it this way, if I had to say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, like how suspicious are you of white people? Uh, one being, uh, hey, if I meet a strange white person I've never met before on the street, I'm willing to bring them in my house and hang out and have dinner. That would be one and a 10, if a white person showed up on your doorstep with a million dollars in a suitcase with your name on it, you would run the other way. That would be 10. Like, where would you fall on that scale of one to 10 in terms of how, uh, quote unquote, suspicious you are of whites? <laughs> um, it's definitely not that level of fear, as I said earlier, um, or that level of suspicion. Some of my close friends, some of my best friends are white. Um, and I don't feel that way. I feel like um, there's a level of authenticity to our friendship where we're able to have open, honest dialogue 
but those dialogues have happened in that way because we're sharing with one another. Um, we're not like holding a veil. We're very real and honest with one another. Um, so that those, that level of questioning that happens isn't there in that way. Um, that level of suspicion isn't there. Um, I think that, I think that a dialogue has to happen in order to put the, to break down those, that amount of suspicion that happens, that amount of questioning that a black person has about whether or not they're here. Start having a conversation, getting to know people around you, asking questions, um, about where they're from and everything, um, before making prejudgments. <laughs> That's how you go somewhere and don't feel like you have to be this, you you have to kind of like put your head down and feel like you're, you have to be, you have to constantly question why you're there, what your point is, like what your place is, do you have a voice, is it legitimate, um, all of that from be dismantled by simply starting up conversations that make sense within those places. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, did you at any point ever have any suspicions about your uh, quote unquote white friends that they could be racist? Uh, or if you ever had any dialogue where you questioned uh, anything that they said or did? I'm not going to say that, I mean, there's, there's been some offen offenses that have happened that I've let kind of roll off of me and kind of just touted it as unintentional, like, ignorance, if you will, like, them just not knowing any better, like, asking questions about my hair or making, like, weird comments <laughs> or, like, playing around with with kind of, like, stereotypes around black culture and everything, um, things like that have happened. Um, but we've always been able to push past that and we've always been able to have conversations and have dialogues that have promoted an understanding and hopefully learning, teaching opportunities so that we're not always in those in that place. Because what's the point of being in a friendship? You're just, like, going through the motions. Like, what's the point of it? Why are you hanging out with somebody if there's a constant offense and you're constantly not able to, like, be open and honest and talk about your day and what's happening and your day-to-day -day experiences um, as a black person and and society and everything and what really impacts you and really, what really hurts you and pulls at you. Hmm. Intriguing. Wowee. Um, I love that. This is scintillating for me. Um, when uh, you said specifically, like there have been uh, offenses uh, where they've made kind of a weird comment uh, saying mm -hmm. something that's kind of, uh, some sort of stereotypical comment about black people or black culture, like 
to the best of your recollection, like, can you remember one time, like one specific thing that one of your white friends said that would qualify as what you're talking about? I mean, there's been, there's been comments made about hair and like, you know, fried chicken and Kool-Aid and watermelon, just like things like that. And it's just like, uh, a hee-hee-ha laughing type of moment where you just kind of like let it slide off but really on the inside you're like oh no she didn't or no he didn't he didn't say that (laughs) but it's also kind of like you're having you're you're like telling yourself at the same time that oh maybe they just didn't know any better and that's the place that I've been able to come to that okay they just didn't know, but here I am. I can explain it to them, and I can explain what that means and the history behind that and why saying something like that has has a deeper meaning than just a kind of joke sort of thing when you're saying it to me. Hmm. What you just described, like if they make, you know, this sort of comment about watermelon or fried chicken, whatever the case may be. And you said on the inside, you're kind of like, oh, man, I cannot believe they just said that. No, they didn't. Uh, and you don't say anything. Uh, you, you try to move past all that so you don't get stuck in that moment. Is that another example of you having to suppress yourself, to suppress uh, black rage, to get along with white people, even your white friends? It is. It is a lot of time on this. It's like you don't, I don't feel the need to suppress myself when it's a one-on-one good friend that I've had multiple conversations with and we've, and we've, our friendship has grown and evolved. But when you're inside of a setting where you already don't feel like you have power, um, like you're not in charge, you're just like, you're just kind of like a person, an employee there, just like coming to work, doing your job. You don't want to come out and say like the wrong thing, even though that comment that was made in the meeting earlier kind of had you go, oh my goodness, that's really offensive. That's really offensive. You feel lost. Because it's like, I can't, I can't say anything. I can't go to like the head of whatever the place is and be like, oh, that's, um, next time I would preface that by saying such and such versus saying this because historically speaking, that's a very offensive comment and it, and it really offended me personally. Um, you don't, you kind of suppress that because you don't want to get fired. You don't want to be sent up maybe to HR for no reason one day because they think you're, you're being, you're an overly aggressive black person or an angry black person or what have you. Um, simply because you decided to speak up. So yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of suppression within the workforce, within the work environment, within um, these larger environments versus my one-on-one conversations with 
some of my best friends who happen to be white because we knew each other from various perspectives where um, we're talking about various things, we're getting to know each other, we're exchanging um, like various stories and understanding like each other's cultures and, and perspectives and all of that. So I wouldn't say there's, there's any sort of suppression on that level or else I don't I don't think I would even attempt to be friends with them. Like, I already have to suppress myself in so many other settings. Why would I ever want to voluntarily be friends with someone that I had to suppress myself? Like, that isn't, that's not going to work. That's too much stress. Hmm. Um, I would, I'm super appreciative. I know, uh, talking about, you know, personal uh, things and experiences that we've had with uh, other friends or workplace. I know that that can be uh, super difficult. So I definitely appreciate you uh, sharing and kind of reflecting on some of your experiences um, and listening to your response. Um, it did seem like a bit of a, a contradiction, perhaps, unless I miss, uh, didn't hear you uh, correctly. Um, because when you started off with your response, you said, yes, uh, that there is a bit of, of suppression, even in uh, your personal friendships, because you, I think, have said at least once, a few times, actually, that uh, some of your white friends that they've made these uh, might be racist comments, and you don't always speak up. And I thought in answering, you did say that that is another form of uh, suppression. So at least to me, just listening to what you what you shared, it does seem like there is some level uh, of suppression mm -hmm. uh, with these whites, regardless of the context, whether it's in your personal friendships, whether it's on the job, it seems like that uh, power dynamic is still there of uh, being a black person and being in the presence, being in contact with a white person. And they make a comment that might be racist and for whatever reason, you still do not feel uh, able to speak up and call them out and say, hey, what you just said is racist uh, or incorrect or something that you shouldn't be saying. And I didn't particularly appreciate what you had to say. Uh, it seems like it's still operating there uh, unless I didn't unless I didn't hear you correctly. I could be mistaken. Those people are not necessarily my closest friends. Then those are those may be um, people that I know or people that are just like acquaintances, if you will, who we haven't had, we haven't had the opportunity to build a, a friendship in a productive way. Um, it hasn't happened yet. So there's a level of comfortableness that isn't there yet. If they are to say something, I do suppress myself, but I wouldn't necessarily call that a friendship dynamic. Hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. So there's a, there's a difference between the way that I'm defining the openness and willingness to have, like, dialogues with these friendships that I've built versus just acquaintances, just people that I kind of, like, randomly meet who may say something to me in passing. Mm -hmm. There's a level of suppression that happens in fear of, like, being judged or touted a certain way and not being able to um, be seen as as an as someone with an equal perspective and opportunity to uh, weigh into whatever the opportunity is 
whether that be a work environment, a academic environment, or what have you. Hmm. Uh, in in your piece uh, at salon.com, I'm tired of suppressing myself to get along with white people. Uh, you write repeatedly, uh, and you've said it a few times uh, during the broadcast today, uh, where you chalked up some of the conduct, uh, in my opinion, it could just be racist white conduct. You've chalked that up to uh, white ignorance, uh, where they just, they didn't know any better. Um, what do you mean when you say ignorance? Like, what specifically is it that you think white people mm -hmm. are ignorant about? Mm -hmm. I said unintentional ignorance, and I what I mean by that is just this, you didn't learn. This wasn't a significant part of your, your learning, your your upbringing. Your parents didn't teach you about African-American history. You didn't get this inside of your school, maybe. Or if you did get it, you only learned a few key characters inside of our our history, um, a, few, a few key figures, if you will. Um, so there's, once you interact with someone, that sort of lack of understanding, that lack of knowledge plays itself out, and it's unintentional. Hmm. Do you, you didn't feel the need because our, our black his African American history is so under devalued in so many schools. It's taken out. It's watered down. You only get bits and pieces of it. It's it's not seen as important in general. So if if it's already seen as not important to teach, and you're not getting it at home, and your parents aren't telling you that this is important and teaching you, then where are you getting it? And why should you care? So that's why I call it unintentional ignorance. Because it's, it's, all, it's all part of a larger landscape that reflects itself back to um, institutional racism. You're taking these things out. Um, blackness is devalued, devalued inside of our education system in general. So you're not getting it. <laughs> And why would you care if you didn't get it? Hmm. So that ignorance plays itself out in your your potentially day-to-day -day experiences with an African-American person um, inside of the workforce and academia. It plays itself out in all of those settings. Hmm. Fascinating. Um what would your response be uh, to saying uh, I process racism uh, as a crime? Uh, I look at it as the dominant crime that's happening on the planet, organized crime, if you will. Uh, but I process mm -hmm. it the same way that I would uh, someone who is a rapist, someone who is an arsonist, someone who is a bank robber, uh, that these are all crimes. Uh, and that I would not say someone who goes around robbing banks I wouldn't say that that person is committing that crime because they're ignorant. Uh, this is someone they know that robbing banks, stealing is wrong. This is incorrect behavior. This is something that you shouldn't do. Uh, but hey, for whatever reason, I like doing this. I need money, whatever the case may be. This is something that I'm choosing to do. Um, what would your response be to saying, hey, that's the same way that we should process 
racism, that this is not about white people being ignorant, intentionally so, unintentionally so, that this is, hey, we whites collectively, we do not value black life. We're not interested in learning about uh, black history, black culture, black people. Uh, We are interested in mistreating, subjugating, abusing black people forever and making sure that whites collectively worldwide maintain domination over this group of people that we're saying are black people forever. That that is not ignorance at all, that that's just the people who've made up their mind about how they view and intend to abuse a certain group of people. What would your response to that be? I would say that I agree with that. Um, whiteness is definitely power and property, and it plays itself out every day in the, the killing of black bodies, um, the disregard for black life from the education system to the way that we're exploited in the media. Um, it's, it's played out on multiple levels. And... Um, yeah, it's happening. Fascinating. Uh, some of the folks dialed in who are listening and have uh, questions, thought I would nab a few of those as we roll along. Uh, for folks who, if you have any questions uh, from the dialogue you've been uh, listening to with Miss Priscilla Ward, feel free, chime in. The number to dial is 760-569-5673. Seven six, seven six, and the code is five, six, four, nine, four, three, pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Again, once you dial the number, I think uh, some of the folks that got confused, new listeners, uh, once you put the number and the code in, if you want to ask a question, press star six and then you'll hear the audio prompt to press the number one uh the folks and its questions still not uh speech time <laughs> save your speechifying for later uh the person who dialed in from a block number if you had a question for miss ward your line should be open may I, may i be heard yes sir yes thank you miss ward for being on the program today uh, Ms. Ward, do you believe that white people are suspicious of black people? Most definitely. Are white people suspicious of black people? Yes. Most definitely. Most definitely. I, we're all, like, every time when we walk out the door, we're suspect. Um, like, in our workforce, at in our, like, places of where we're getting our education, we're always a suspect. Yes, most definitely. And that plays itself out in the responses and the fact that black bodies are being murdered. Yes. Do you believe that you have an accurate definition of racism and white supremacy? Yes. Uh, what is your age? I'm 24. Do you have a black parent and a white parent? No. I um I grew up in a black family. I have 
Both my parents are black. Have you had a sexual relationship with a white person? No, I haven't. No further questions. Right on. Uh, caller at 1184-1184. Did you have a question for Miss Priscilla Ward? Greetings, everybody. Greetings, Gus. Uh, greetings, Miss Ward. Uh, I got a ton of questions, basically, but I can only ask a few, I guess. Um, when you pose a question... When you pose a question to your roommates and most of them didn't have a clear concept or much to say about what was going on in Ferguson, and then one of the uh, males said something but not much and wanted to know your opinion, did you state what happened in your view? And if not, why? I'm sorry, repeat what was my view you said or yes did you state what happened in your view and if you didn't why not well when that happened when i didn't get a response about his thoughts on it and he just did not understand what was going on at all i was just i was like really really it's it's everywhere this isn't just in black on black outlets this is everywhere. This is national news. This is this is everywhere. And why doesn't he know what is going on? Um, so it was very problematic for me. I grappled with it. And then I thought, this goes back to, um, this goes back to white supremacy. It goes back to the whole idea that whiteness is power and property and that um, parts of our education are devalued. Parts um, African American history is devalued. It's not part of the larger landscape of, um, of our education of anything oh, at all. So we both we both agree on that. We both agree on that. You're very conscious of that. Let me ask mm-hmm. you something further. When you're talking about racial conciliation. Um, it kind of doesn't make sense, like Gus said, about re- restoring. There's no restoring to be happening because uh, we have not been abusers of whites collectively. Um, being not, not sure to be suspicious of white people, and you ask, your, you, you ask your white friends about comments or activities that they've done towards black people or, or witness to black people, can you go into any more vividness about what you've observed that they were willing to reveal about how they uh, neglect black people or their awareness of how black people are neglected? Mm-hmm. Comments towards me specifically or um, or just how it's played out in my day-to-day experiences? Um, when you say, like, they don't know better, like Mm -hmm. here, fried chicken, watermelon, and all that, could it be that, could it be an expression of white domination taking place there when that happens? Yes, it's, it's all part of 
the whole idea of whiteness as power and property. Yes, our culture has been made a joke, has been made, like, exploited. Those things have been exploited and made a joke. So it's almost like, it's like, okay, I can continue this ignorance. I can continue these jokes. They're funny. It's something that maybe she'll be laughing at as well when it's like, when it's like, no, that's not funny at all. I take offense to that, those comments. Okay, along the lines of ignorance and suspicion, what is white friendships? What is white friendship uh, in terms of this context? Are white people not sensitive to the subjugation of black people? Are they ignorant? I think that it's, it's very individualized. I think that it takes, I have so many white friends who are very conscious of what is happening and um, who are very socially active and who have gone to Ferguson, who have, who are, who are marching, who are protesting, who are writing, who are covering these events. So I think that it's very individualized. I think that it depends on that person's cultural background, where they grew up, um, their their sort of micro dynamic of um, the sort of education that they had, how much how, their willingness to step outside of those sort of environments and get their own education and do their own learning. Yes, ma'am. Have you worked with those type of people in a corporate setting, and they were and they were active, and they were being activists? Yes, I've worked with several white activists. Well, no, not, not in always in setting. not always I, I, in a corporate setting, though. No, right. But I'm not talking about an activist type of corporation or something like that. I'm talking about mm-hmm. in a common type of uh, workplace corporate setting. It's not common that you would find those type of uh, white people being activists. But I'm saying, is there a value in being in friendship where you have to be passive and defensive? Repeat that, you said. Is there a value in being in friendship where you have to be passive and defensive? Because I heard you speak along the lines of... um, not being comfortable, basically, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically backstepping from what you knew to be offensive. And so what I'm saying is, is there real value in being in friendships like that for us? I think that, yes, we have to reach outside of our comfort zone um, and be friends with even if it doesn't always have to evolve into a friendship, you don't always have to try to force a friendship. I'm not saying to go out and try to be friends with every white person. No, but like, how are we going to push past this and create room for diverse dialogues if we walk around with this defensiveness that, oh, you're a white person, I always have to be like of you all the time like progress cannot happen like that sometimes you have to let down your guard and be be willing to have a dialogue a very uncomfortable one um oh dialogue is fine but when you're afraid to have a dialogue because you want to be friends that's a problem Mm -hmm. true yes it is 
Right. And I just, I'm not and, good and at that. That's, that's part that's of that's what I got from that. In the friendship. Like when you're, ha- when you're a friend that. with somebody, you can have an honest dialogue, no matter right. what color their skin is. If yeah, you're friends with them, you should be able to like tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, okay, and the only thing I would like to say is that institutional racism is robbery is a crime. Inst- institutional racism is robbery a crime, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. But it's also sadistic and deliberate. In other words, it's not about ignorance. Um, I got all the wrong models of what black people are growing up. I don't believe that's the problem. I think the problem is people want to be, they want to benefit from the abuse of black people, and they're aware of it. And I think the sooner we get over with that. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Thank you, sister. I'll, I'll get your comments off the air. Thanks a lot. Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear a question. I don't know if he wanted you to respond to uh, his perspective, where he was saying that he didn't think mm-hmm. it was ignorance; that he just felt that uh, whites enjoy abusing uh, black people and benefiting from mm-hmm. it. Um, did you want to respond? Yes, um, I think that that's the history of our country. That um, back to slavery, black bodies have been abused for profit and everything. But I think that it's also, um, it also is very individualized and it also doesn't have to play itself out like that. We always, we don't always have to be guarded in a way that, that separates ourselves and doesn't provide, um, room for conversations to promote growth that, forge friendships, if you will. And within the context of those real authentic friendships, that's the space that you can have honest conversations about race, um, how this plays out in your day-to-day experiences as a black person, what this experience means to you, what these sort of words and things mean to you. Hmm. Uh, the different person that dialed in from a block number. Did you mm-hmm. have a question for Miss Priscilla Ward? Um, good evening, Miss Ward. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I I lived with some white people when I was younger, and I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. You just can say mostly yes or mostly no if you don't mind. Yes, no problem. Okay. Did you notice that the Asian woman was much more predisposed to being nice to the whiter guy, to the white guys, than she was to the Asian guy? Is that mostly yes? Um, I wouldn't. So, um, there's two white guys and one Asian roommate, and I wouldn't say that. I would say that we're all pretty friendly to one another. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that that's the dynamic at all. It's one person kind of being nicer to the other person than someone else. I think that, yeah. Um, would you, did you notice that the Asian women did dated mostly white guys and not Asian guys? Um, well, she has, she has a boyfriend and he's, um, he's Asian as well. 
Okay. Did you notice that the um, that the white guys took a lot more drugs than you're used to people your age taking? Well, I I don't know anything about their that life their their personal life on that level. Okay. So I can't and, really comment to that. Okay. And I don't know if you talked to them much, but did did they seem to talk about money more than most people talked about money? No, not at all. And as your roommates, since you guys were equally responsible, do you think did you ever catch them mistreating you by hiding something that they were doing from you? No, um, not at all. Not at all. It was never that level of shame in that sort of way. Hmm. And also because um, we're home at all different times. We have all different working schedules. So um, not at all. I never felt like they were trying to conceal anything. No. And last question. Did you ever think that maybe they might have, I don't know how Craigslist works, but do you think that maybe the only reason they were there with you guys as roommates because they couldn't qualify for an apartment on their own? No, because we all had to qualify separately for the apartment. Okay. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, greetings, Shani. See some of our listening audience. Uh, the person at 8786, last four digits, 8786, did you have a question for Miss Ward? Um, hi, yeah. Um, I'm a first-time caller. been listening to the program for three months. And my question for Ms. Ward is, are you usually the only non-white person around your white friends? Mm, Yes, most of the time. But that's only because a lot of the times when I'm hanging out, it might be just like a one-on-one sort of dynamic versus a group dynamic. But I have been... There have been several instances in college and throughout uh, my time here in New York that I've been in environments where I wasn't just the um, the token black girl, if you will, with my white friends. And um, the times when you weren't the quote token black person, um, were there any instances where your white friends mentioned any racial stereotypes to your other non-white friends? You're saying when when I wasn't, like, say there yes. was, like, me and my, like, best friend who's black and we're with, like, three other, we're with three white people, did they just yeah. start bringing up racial sort of things? Um, I can remember maybe a couple instances in college where that's happened, um, where, we, where we may have been just, like, in a dorm room setting um, just kind of talking, and maybe things were kind of shot fired. Um, comments were made, kind of laughing, kind of crying on the inside. That why did they say that you're making the situation awkward, the setting awkward, that sort of thing? Um, but not, not like millions of times, not a lot of times, no. In those settings, was alcohol involved? No. No. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. No problem. 
first time caller. Good to hear from you. Hope we uh, don't act too crazy. Uh, the person that dialed in nine seven six nine nine seven six nine. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? Hello. Yes, Can sir. I be here? Yes, sir. Hi. Hi how are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, Miss um, Ward. Um, I was reading your article, and um, mm-hmm. you said that you were um, after the brief conversation. You were reckoning with out outdated ideas on race. Um, can you recall what those ideas were? It was just like I was over a lot. Um, there were there were times when I had thought about there was a sense of freedom, like oh maybe I'll go date a white guy, maybe I'll I'll do this and that, and it was just like this this sense of freedom, like okay cool I live in this this sort of environment. I'm moving into this environment, but so what? There's there's so many opportunities to learn something new that I don't know. And then everything happened, and he didn't understand, and I'm in this place, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, this goes back to our history, the devaluing of our history, like why he doesn't know, why this wasn't important. He probably didn't learn this. Just like a whole bunch of judging, like, why doesn't he know this? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he understand the, the landscape of why this all matters, the murdering of black bodies, that this isn't just an isolated instant, inst- incident, that it's been going on for a long time. It's been going on on an international level, but he doesn't understand the scope of this. So that's what I meant by just, like, grappling with, these sort of outdated ideas about, like, stereotypes and prejudices and all of those sort of ideas I kind of became engulfed with um, to the okay. point of, like, not wanting to, like, hang out with, with white people or not wanting to spark new friendships, just wanting to kind of find solace in my, like, sisterhood, like, friend, like, friendships with black people that are already been established and all of those sorts of things. Okay. Um, all right. Um, thank you for that response. Um, mm-hmm. when you heard, um, white people, um, telling jokes about, I guess, you know, watermelon, fried chicken, or, or I guess black culture, um, why did you go through the effort to explain, um, I guess, like you said, the history behind those jokes? Mm-hmm. Yes, why, why, would, why did you go through the effort of doing that? Because it's not going to happen on my watch. Like, I'm not just going to sit there and let someone um, continually, like, do these things out of, I'll just call it as, call it unintentional ignorance, I'm going to take it as an opportunity to teach someone why this is so significant, why this is offensive, why um, (laughs) this is not a joke, even though it's been exploited and made into a joke for such a long time. Okay. And so you say, um, you know, it's um, offensive... 
um, exploitive. Um, so, like, when you hear a joke, what's what's gonna what's the line where you will say, "Sir, ma'am, what you said is racist." Mm-hmm. So, I think that you you have to take a moment so that you're like just take a moment, breathe, and then let them get it all out, and then. Maybe you don't even bring it up in that one, that instance. Maybe you sleep on it um, and then come back to them and say, hey, you want to grab a coffee? And then, like, casually bring it up and break it down. And a lot of instances, people have been open to these sorts of dialogues. It hasn't been a defensive sort of conversation. It's been more of like, oh, feelings of white guilt, feelings of, oh, I never knew this, Um, I never understood, and it just wasn't part of my, like, upbringing, I didn't, I didn't learn this part of my history, I'm sorry. That's what happens a lot of times. Okay, so I just want to be clear, so you wouldn't outright there then say the statement that or the joke that they made there right then, you wouldn't say it was racist? I would. I, I think it, it depends on what it what happens. You have to, it has to come naturally. I think that um, it's very ind- individualized. I think that um, in certain instances I have, like, pulled away and said that, hey, that, that's, that comment is kind of racist, like, and this is why... Versus other times, I've been like, mm, I'm not going to bring it up. I'll just, like, let it slide off. And then there's been other times when I've, I've brought it up and said, hey, this is why, this is racist. I kind of took offense to when you said that and whatnot. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Miss Ward. No problem. Groovy. Uh, person that dialed in, I guess you're on the free flash phone, I reckon. Uh, did you have a question for Miss Ward? You should be with us. Greetings, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Um, uh, um, <clears throat> I came in kind of late. Um, my question is, um, are, is it, are you trying to teach black people how to... Um, um, change their behavior around white people or, or, or just suppress their, their true selves or something like that? No. No? Oh. No. No, not at all. Okay. Um, I was wondering, um, like, where do you get your information from? Like, uh, you know, you you said some things that sound like assumptions to me, but I'm just wondering, like, mm-hmm. where did you come up with 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 these ideas? Um, of like, you know, oh, you, they like like white people are ignorant, and uh, you have to teach them and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not I'm not making the assumption that every white person is ignorant. Like I, I think I said earlier that. Uh, some of my best friends are white and they're well-informed and well-read and, and know so much about African-American history. And then there's been other instances where people have said comments that that reflect that maybe they don't know what is happening and, 
and don't understand our history and everything, but in no way am I trying to say that every white person is ignorant and that we need to just run around teaching them every the ABCs of African-American history. Not at all. Did you grow up around white people? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, um, have you ever felt like you were being trained like a dog? No. What do you mean by that? I mean, like some of, some of the responses that they give and, you know, some of the responses. It seems like, um, you know, it just seems like you see, you see the same patterns over and over again and, and I just I just was wondering if you ever felt like you're being conditioned to have the uh to have the you know the responses that you have and whether it be verbal or um you know just or, or you know like body language I wouldn't say conditioned um I wouldn't say that um I would say that my up uh, my background I was actually homeschooled and um there were a lot of opportunities that I was given in various settings um where I was around kids from different parts of DC different part different programs and such like the ministry leadership program and things like that and within those settings many times a lot of the the comments, the ostrac the like ostracizing, if you will, that happened from black people in many of those instances, saying, Oh, you're acting white, you're acting that light skin, um and me kind of feeling like, Where's my place? Like, that's not the case at all. I'm I'm black. I know my history. Um and those sorts of conversations taking place where it was almost like the blacker-than-thou crew trying to criminalize me. Okay. Um, like, like, like with the history that you've, you've, you've studied and, mm-hmm. and read, you said you know your history, um, do, you, do you see white people as... as different from the historical white people that you read about um and and if, if so in what way and what then you mean, have you have historical. you defined have, have you been asked to define what a friend is on the program yeah um no not really yeah could you do that you can really go into please? that yeah yeah of course a friend to me is someone where you're able to be open and honest with and talk about the good, the bad, the ugly in your life. It's someone who you trust, who can really be there for you, who you're able to call up and say, hey, this is what's going on. I need to talk to you. It's it, a Friendship is built upon trust. Um, that's how I defined it. How, how can you trust somebody that could be a racist? How can I tell someone if they are a racist? No, like how could you trust somebody that could be a racist? Hmm. 
Well, I think that that might come across as you're trying to define that friendship, as you're trying to figure out whether or not this this um, this sort of dynamic that you all have established is there. Um, I think that I think that it's you can't really trust someone who's a racist. I can't. No, I'm saying that could be. That could be a racist. Like I'm a black male, I cannot, I couldn't be a, a racist. I'm not white, but somebody mm-hmm. white, they could, they they could be a racist. They could practice racism, white supremacy. Like they can flip that, they can turn that page whenever they, whenever they want. Like how could you trust somebody and you know put your life in 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 hands of somebody that could that could be a racist? That could be lying to you the whole time, and that could make a false report on you and and because they're white they would they would you know presumably be believed over you like how could you how could that i'm just asking mhm i think that that's really hard that's a challenge um to try to be friends with someone or to try to trust someone who may be a racist um I don't think that, I think that, that those sorts of things might come out as you're trying to establish a relationship with that person, whether or not they're racist or have those views, and I think that you might be taken back on whether or not you trust that person. But I don't think anybody necessarily, well, I shouldn't say anybody, but most people are not walking around with a giant name tag on them that says, I'm racist. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just wondering, my other question, what I was asking about, like you said, you knew your history. I was wondering, like, do you, do you see white people have changed um, since since the history? Like, do you have a test? You know, if you know your history, like, like, do you have a test where, because, you know, like, when they, they ask, they would ask white people questions all the time, you know, these, this question, you know, do all these about the state of, you know, uh, you know, black people and everything like that. Like, um, do you think white people have changed? And I was just thinking about a little, like, maybe a project, like, if you can come up with, like, a list of, of, of questions that they asked back, you know, like they asked maybe in the, in the 60s about how, you know, the problems of black people and maybe see if uh, see if white people that your 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 friends or whatever would answer the same. But I'm just like wondering like, how how you know just just do you do you think that white people are, are acting differently than uh, uh, the history that you've read? I think that there are several people, or I don't think that collectively all white people are the same white people that I've read about throughout history. No, not at all. I think that there are people, white people who have gone past that, who have um, done great things, who are activists, who are on the front lines with us in the movement and everything. And then there are white people who aren't a part of the movement, who have different, who have other views who are um, racist, who are who are are bigoted, who have who are like murdering black bodies. I don't think you can just collectively throw all white people into the same 
cross and say all white people are like this. Not at all. Oh, okay. Uh, I, thank you, Gus. Um, I guess uh, it just—I will say this. Sounds like you're putting your—you know—it's probably. It sounds like you're putting your life kind of in the hands and on the line, and without a lot of, uh, you know, evidence, um, a lot of a lot of logic and and reason. And I, I just was—I just don't see the reason why anybody would do that. But um, thanks for coming on the couch. Mm -hmm. Right on. Uh, person that dialed in last four digits eight one seven nine eight one seven nine. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, uh, Gus, and to your guest and the rest of the listeners. I chimed in kind of late, so forgive me if this question was already asked. But I wanted to know: um, Have you dated a non-white person before? No, I haven't. Do you have um, white friends who prefer dating blacks or um, or date a lot of non-whites? So the dynamic being a, a black girl dating a white guy or a black girl, oh, a white girl dating well, a black do you guy? Just, you have a lot of um, white friends, you said. So Correct. do mm -hmm. they prefer dating black people or non-white people? I think that the white friends that I have are extremely open to the possibilities of dating both black and white, as well as other races of people. Um, okay, are you familiar with uh, Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson, the history of, mm -hmm. of um, in your opinion, was that like a romance or was it like rape in your opinion? I think that was rape. Okay. Yeah, right. most definitely. Okay. Well, that was all I had. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing. Mm-hmm. See our caller at 6679. 6679, did you have a question for Miss Ward? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, Good evening. Uh, Ma'am, I, I know you said that you didn't want to lump all whites into the same bucket of active racists, and you said that they had changed from the villains of history that you had read about. Um, is it fair to say that um, whites, you know, that you would consider not actively racist, still benefit or cast the check that the villains wrote? so that they don't have to be as villainous? Hmm. I'm not sure if I'm understanding your question. Okay, what I'm saying is that the, the, the bad guys in history that you would say that white people no longer are, they've done all the dirty work so that today's whites don't have to be so bloody, so to speak, and that they, from their dirty work, for the most part, and would that mm -hmm. not make them culpable for... It's just like this. For example, I'll give you a better example. Uh, slave master has a plantation, dies, passes the house down, passes the house down. Everyone that is has that deed and actively lives in the home is responsible for the origins and the roots of it. Uh, would you? Is that safe to say? 
That is safe to say. Um, that is safe to say, yes. But do we criminalize every white person now? No, I don't think so. And I think that's, um, that's the beauty of developing friendships and everything. I don't think you continue to criminalize and say that white person, their great-great-great-great-grandfather probably enslaved my ancestors and continually just hold this grudge. I don't think that's productive. I think that that causes us to get sick, bitterness, all sorts of illnesses happen from holding in that that sort of anger and grudge against white people. Well, well, I guess I wouldn't call it criminalizing because that would take power to actually, you know, hold someone responsible for a crime, even though I agree with the host that white supremacy is a global criminal uh, effort. Um, But I, I don't believe that, I guess, holding whites accountable for the sins of their fathers um, actually would cause any negative health benefits that getting killed by uh, racist officers does. I mean, when I say mm-hmm. health, any health detriments, I mean, uh, you know, I, I would see that if anything, uh, being able to, you know, uh, hold your abuser, your oppressor accountable for his actions, I, I would think that that would be a load off the shoulders of the community collectively to see that justice, you know, be served. Because I don't think yes, that the act- most definitely, most definitely. But I thought you were talking in the perspective of saying that, hey, I have this white friend that, or there's, you can't even be friends with them if you have that perspective. You know this white person, I should say, and they're guilty. They're just guilty. Well, well I, w- I would say that because at one point I was confused where I thought that, you know, there was a such thing as a good white person in the sense that because of that um, conditioning, that programming to look for the approval of whites, the, the, the pat on the head, so to speak. And now that I understand what white supremacy is, or I'm understanding better what white, white supremacy is, how it functions and how it impacts my daily life, I, I, I do believe that um, whites and whatever peace or whatever they have today is the benefit is benefiting from the abuse of blacks, especially, you know, so, you know, when they are able to ride the bikes in their neighborhoods and, you know, have sandals on and just do whatever they live their life. It's the benefit of oppression and the blood of black folks mainly. And so I do Mm -hmm. hold them accountable for that. You know, that's not something that I would, you know, I'm going around, you know, with any, any type of active malice, but, you know, I make, I make no effort to, uh, to make that make anything comfortable for them, you know, and and I I look at them as everything that they have those you know those commercials where they're smiling and everyone's blonde and blue eyed, you know that comes from that peace that they have comes from the turmoil that I have to live through as a black male. And the white supremacy mm-hmm. not only is is you know a, 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 a ticket to wealth or whatever, it's a right to life, it's a quality of life that I don't have. I face death on a 24-hour basis being black in America, whereas they don't, and they don't. a lot of uh, speechifying questions, questions. Do we have any more questions? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, sorry, guys, I'm done. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. Appreciate that, appreciate that. Uh, caller at, uh, 
1388. Did you have a question for Ms. Ward? Yes, thanks. Uh, Take our call, Gus. Uh, for your uh, guest, I just have three uh, quick questions. Uh, first question, um, out of your top five closest friends, uh, how many would you say are white? I would say that I have at least three close white friends that are, are my best friends. Yes, they're in my top, yeah. Out of, out of all out of your top closest friends, three of them are white? Yes, I would say that maybe two. I would say about two are white, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you seek white validation? Um no, I wouldn't say I would say that it ha it, like that that need to be validated within side of these settings happens. Yes, I do. Within some extent, I'm not stressed out about so, being so, validated. So, what's that? What's that? But what's yes. That? Yeah, I told you I was here. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. I, Hello. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got some background noise. Go ahead, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my next question is: um, Do you think? Uh, do you? Do you believe there's a difference between black history and uh, American history? Yes, I do. I believe also. that, I believe that, um, yes, we're part of the larger fabric of this country, but I believe that it's important that our history be separated and digested and breaking apart and not just diluted in kind of shifted into one big textbook that only has three um, historical figures in it. I think that that happens a lot of times when you don't just have a set course that is African-American history versus just American history. And I think that it's important that that be restored, that that be brought back into our education system, that that be valued. Okay. Uh, my last uh, comment is, uh, you, in your article, you said on a rooftop that mm-hmm. you kind of gave like a side eye to the young guy who uh, wasn't aware of what was going on in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Now, and you also talk about some of your friends make comments about fried chicken, watermelon, and your hair. And given the history of America, and I think black history is intertwined all too, and your white friends growing up knowing about American history, which is also black history, uh, how come you say you kind of laugh it off or feel you need to educate them when, how come you don't give them that, that same look that you gave the guy on the rooftop? saying, oh, my God, how can you not know about this? This is national news, what's going on in Ferguson. How could you not know about that? And how come you didn't look at your friends or give them that same response? Like, how could you not know while a little chicken hair is something that's offensive, given the history of America and mm-hmm. how it was founded and everything like that? How come you didn't give your friends that same look? I do. I would say I would say that I do sometimes, 
but there's also, so with these national events, you saw that popping up on your Instagram, your Twitter, it was on 24-hour news cycle, it was everywhere. Our history isn't everywhere. Um, it plays itself, itself out everywhere, but the lack of awareness that happens um, is rooted within our education system. The lack of, like, um, valuing of African-American history, it's, it happens there. So I kind of point my finger there before pointing it at that one or couple white people that might not understand what is going on, what's happening, um, the historical significance of those statements. Okay. My last, my last question is you just made like three different statements in one. You're saying that they don't Mm -hmm. understand that they don't value and that they don't know the history. Mm-hmm. Those are three statements. So I believe, me personally, I believe whites know the history of blacks and what they've done historically to blacks in this country. And but I the, think do it, they know I, all of it? Like, yes, they, they know that. I hope that they yeah, know that. I'm, yeah, they, they know and they benefit from it, from what their ancestors and their founding fathers have, have built for them. And I think that you're like, I think the white people just don't value it. I don't think that they understand it or they don't know the history. I think they just don't, they don't value it and it's not important to them. And that's what mm-hmm. they make. What, that's, that's, I think that's what they make uh, or what they say to you when they're around you. They don't value mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. history. They know it. Mm-hmm. I, I know all white people know their history. That's why they have, they walk around and they have the power and they walk around with it and they know mm-hmm. it. So they just don't value I agree with that. I agree with that. And it plays itself out. Like, they don't value our history. They don't value us as people. But is every white person like that? No. (laughs) Okay. That's all I have for this. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Caller at 8562-8562. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? Your line should be open. Hello, good night. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay, good night. Um, my question is, um, what's the guest's name again? I'm sorry. Uh, Priscilla Ward. Priscilla Ward. Oh, okay, okay. Good night, Miss Ward. Uh, my question is, do you agree that racism is a group effort done by white people and a group is made up of individuals? So do you agree with that uh, statement? That racism is a group effort Mm-hmm. Done by white people. Yes. And a group is made up of individuals, yeah. White, individual white people. Yes, I agree with power, that. The power structure, that they're the, power, they're, the, they're the most powerful people on earth. You yes, I, cr- I agree that collectively, yes, that's true, yes. But I, I, I also believe that within that power structure of whiteness is power and property, that there are individuals, there are white people who have decided that they believe in something else, that they aren't going to um, be racist. Okay. Um, question. How can you tell if a white person is racist or not? 
I think that that comes across in dialogues that are that happen with white people. I think that that's how it comes across. I don't think anybody necessarily um, like wears a label that says that they're racist, and so you start having a conversation with them. What do you think your reaction should be if you suspect a white person of being a racist? I think that naturally, if they were to say something in that conversation that is racist to me, I would be offended. (laughs) I would be very offended. But then I would hopefully take that as an opportunity to tell them about, like, why this is racist and why I'm offended and why I don't agree with what they said to me. And why would you go through all that trouble? Why do you feel the need to do that, to explain to them and to teach them? Because if we don't take take time to teach, um, then these things are only going to continue to persist. It's, ignorance is going to continue to go from one generation to the next generation to the next if you don't take time to have a, a very uncomfortable conversation with your with whoever that is, whether that be a friend dynamic that you have with that white person or just an acquaintance that you might have. Um, I think it's important that um, you take the time to have those conversations so that um, so that you're teaching so that progress has happened. What's, okay. Like, okay. Uh, what's the point? Okay. I have like several questions to that answer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, okay. When you have these conversations with these white people, right, mm-hmm. are you uncomfortable or are they uncomfortable? Who's uncomfortable? Are you both uncomfortable or is it, you know, only one party uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable with even bringing it up a lot of times. I don't know if they're uncomfortable even though, even or not. Though they're the one that's racist. You feel uncomfortable. Yes, I'm uncomfortable bringing it up. I'm uncomfortable unpacking something like that versus just kind of allowing it to boil inside inside of me or allow it to like roll off my shoulder, if you will. It becomes very uncomfortable to bring up those sorts of conversations. Okay, so, okay, so if... And it, it may be, I don't know if it's uncomfortable or not for them, but for me, I can speak for myself, it's, it's uncomfortable. Like, how do they react when you bring it up to them? Like, how do, they, how do they respond to you, you know, when you bring up these conversations? How do they respond to you? So I'll talk directly to what has happened in response to the piece that I wrote. Um, the sorts of responses have been, oh, I'm, I never want you to ever feel that way. I, I'm sorry. There's a sense of white guilt. There's a sense of, like, I don't, I don't feel this way towards you, but I feel as though I should be guilty of generations of generations of people who have enslaved you, um, there's been responses like, I never meant not to know what is going on. I only, this felt like just a an event that 
is part of a collective database of unfortunate events that make up the landscape of what's going on in this country. But it was never to feel like, to, to come across as this event, this not mattering or black lives not mattering. It was never meant to come across as that. So you were, you were familiar with the uh, civil rights era, correct? Correct. Okay. So from that era to now, what, uh, okay, can you tell me some of the issues that we had uh, in the civil rights era? You had voting. Mm-hmm. You had voting. Um, you had women's rights going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had like uh, they had like school segregation and stuff like that, right? Police mm-hmm. health, there was brown like that, right? Yeah, yeah. There was school segregation. Going on yeah. Right now in 2015. Yes, all of that is still happening. We haven't gotten that far. And we haven't made that much progress. You said we haven't gotten that far. Mm-hmm. That's what you said okay. And in the civil rights era, right? Were black people commingling and marching with white people? Yes, correct. And are they doing that right now? Yes, they are doing that right now. We'll have to uh, leave it there because there are other folks who had uh, questions. I want to make sure I mm-hmm. got everybody in. Uh, the person who had a hand up, uh, last four digits, 3068. 3068. Did you have a question for Ms. Ward? Hi. Um, good evening, uh, Ms. Ward. Um, you, you seem to uh, have put in a, a lot of... Uh, time and, and effort and emotional energy and teaching so-called ignorant uh, white people that the racist things they say and do um, are indeed uh, uh, racist. And you, you spoke about racial reconciliation earlier. And you mm-hmm. also mentioned um, the, I think you called them the blacker than black crew of black people who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, basically uh said to you they felt that you were not black or, you know, white identified and, um, you know, you were saying who are they to tell you that you're not, you know, black and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Have you um, put any time and effort and emotional energy in doing a reconciliation with these black people? You have dialogue with them, sit down and talk with these black people and, and, and say, hey, we, you know, don't need to, <clears throat> excuse me, speak of each other like that, calling them the black and then black crew and they calling you whatever they call you. Do you, mm-hmm. have you ever felt that, that compelling on the inside to quote unquote reconcile with black people who've, who've uh, had disagreements with you on, on that issue? I would definitely, I would say that it's been, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, but it's, it's an extremely uncomfortable place to even think about bringing those sort of conversations up to some of those people. And I think the reason why I've been so reluctant in having those sort of conversations is because they've been very, um, they've only been like in moments in pockets, like 
at a, at a camp or in this program in this instant versus a day-to-day experience. And I, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you've not, in essence, um, had these conversations with um, black people who feel that you, quote, unquote, you know, aren't black enough or white identified, and, and you've not felt compelled to clear this up, to, to uh, this fervent need to reconcile and get these things straightened um, out within your own group, but <clears throat> you've had this uh, need and desire and for the, because you said you have three very close, two or three very close white friends, but the ones mm-hmm. who just don't, quote, unquote, seem to get it, don't understand, you, you feel a need to, uh, in, quote, unquote, enlighten them. Um, but there is difficult for you to enlighten, and I'm just paraphrasing, enlighten fellow black people, fellow African Americans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, thank, thank you for answering my question. Okay, no problem. Okay. Folks dialing in from north of the border, uh, caller... Uh, last four digits three two three one three two three one. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, good evening, Gus uh, listeners, and good evening, Miss Ward. Good evening. Um, thanks so much for being on the show, and I have some more difficult questions. And uh, don't worry, I understand what it's like to be in your position, but uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I just have actually, these may not actually be that difficult, but I have a few questions. Um, and first question is, do you think that racism is glorified in the media? Hmm. Oh, sorry. Yes. I, I think so. I think so. I think it's celebrated. I think it's, I think it's celebrated in the fact that um, we're exploited. Images, black bodies are exploited all the time throughout the media um, by white people all the time. Yes, it's glorified. It's made okay. Um, It's made a joke. Yes, most definitely. Okay. Um, Yeah, and I was just going to ask, have you witnessed racist jokes in popular media, like, for instance, television. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, you have? Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> I, I have seen a lot of racist jokes in in comedy, but, um, yeah. I, I started to write a piece, actually, about that, about how I agree and disagree with, with comedy and the idea of kind of making a joke out of like political politics and um, making those things into a satire, if you will. Um, but I kind of stepped away from that. But yes, <clears throat> I okay. do think I do believe that there's a lot of racism in in comedy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have you ever? witnessed your white friends, and I'm pretty sure a lot of non-white people have still done the same thing, but have you ever witnessed your white friends uh, 
um, laugh at these racist jokes. All the time, yeah. All the time. <laughs> all the time. And, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, okay, and then um, uh, this basically sums up the portion of the questioning, but it's like a... Never mind, sorry. Um, what the question is, <laughs> do you think that the... Um, do you think that uh, white media makes fun of or makes a cliche of black suffering? And it's because you were talking about how black history and black everything is just basically played out. It's been played out and there was a lack of valuing were two things you said. I was asking you if you think that the uh, dominant culture's media makes fun and actually makes a cliche of, of black people's suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, a cliche of black people's suffering. What do you mean by that? I guess what I mean by that is, um, uh, let me try and put this in the most unbiased terms, um, is that um, they present black history and black suffering in a way that people become tired with it or that it um, encourages apathy almost. But it's like more that it's, it's like mm-hmm. a been there, done that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, I, I definitely believe that our history a lot of times is presented and documented and, and, and like unpacked for us in a way that doesn't, it's not exciting. It's not something that you want to pay attention to. It's it's really boring. It's it's not done. It's not presented in a way that lends itself to. I want to learn more. It's just like mm, I've heard about this. I've heard about the civil rights era. I've heard about such and such. What more do I need to know? When really, you may just have a very. Um, baseline understanding of those things. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Okay. And then um, mm-hmm. I had three other questions, but maybe I'll just bring it down to one just for the mm-hmm. sake of the show. But um, do you think that white people enjoy racism? I, w- I can't say that collectively every single white person enjoys racism. No. But I do believe that there are some people, some white people that enjoy racism um, and that is reflected inside of the media. And it plays itself out in in other areas besides the media. (laughs) But I can't say that collectively every white person enjoys racism. No. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much for answering my questions. Mm-hmm. No problem. Right on. Uh, I guess folks are also finding the conversation scintillating. Uh, we had three other people that dialed in. Uh, do you have time to, to get three last callers? If you don't, that's fine. We, our feelings will not be hurt. But uh, I'm sure they would love <laughs> to, uh, to get a comment in. Do you have time for that? Sure, I can take those last ones. Okie doke. These are our three last callers. The person, uh, let's see, last four digits. Six nine three five six nine three five. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? I was hoping you'll call me next. <laughs> Hi, Miss Ward. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Great. 
you know, it's so funny. You said something very, very key there, uh, that you grew up with uh, Caucasian white people. My husband is white as you can be, white as you would want them to be, and he is African-American. And it's so funny. <laughs> the, the music and everything, and I'm a African-American the complexion of Michelle Obama, so he, mm-hmm. he did prefer her, not like we're getting into light-skinned girls or dark-skinned girls or anything like that. But it's funny, his, his mother is dark-skinned, and he wanted someone like his mom, but he still has those ways. And let me tell you, Ms. Ward, he gets along with white people so well. I, I kind of find it sometimes, you know, oh, like, how do you get along with them? You know, <laughs> it's so funny because you did say you grew up and you are the sum of your experiences. And sometimes the questions that some of the people have been asking, I'm like, like, you know, this woman has grew up with white people, and I guess maybe because he understands the cues and he'll say, you know, like jokes that he find funny, I don't find funny, and you mm-hmm. know it could be white humor, and I'd be like, ah, what, what's that? And he's like, you don't get it. I said, no, I don't get it. You know, but he'll mm-hmm. sit with his wife and they'll be laughing, <laughs> and I'm like sitting there like, huh, what? You know, it goes over my head. So I can understand when you say that. Um, you grew up with white people. You 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 were made friends with white people. My experience is that I grew up with white people up to the uh, time I was in eighth ma'am, grade. We are trying to get yes. to all the callers, so questions. Okay, questions. Uh, no problem. My question to you is is that I I kind of get where you're coming from, and I'm glad that you are you know opening up yourself for your experience with white people. And I hope that you may not have to try so hard to try to please them, but I'm glad that hopefully you're making a dent in them understanding more about us. Okay? That's mm-hmm. it. All right. Have a good one. You too. Right on. Uh, Mr. Williams? Excuse me, Mr. Reed. Sorry, Mr. Reed. Black Talk Radio Network founder. Did you have a question? Oh, yes, I did. Thank you for taking my call, Gus, and greetings to, to you, ma'am. Um, I just, I had a couple of questions. It sounds to me like, um, your white friends are a source of stress. Um, did I interpret that correctly? Are they a source of stress when it comes to racial issues? No, not at all. When I define friendship, um, the context of those friendships that I have with, with my white friends, stress doesn't exist in those places at all in those dynamics at all no not at all so when you're, um, when you're I'm sorry when go I ahead. talk about suppressing myself for white people I'm talking about other settings I'm talking about larger settings settings unfortunately where I haven't been willing to um, necessarily have conversations build friendships um people haven't extended themselves to me to have those conversations. It goes both ways. Um, but I'm not talking about the, the friendships, the way that I've defined them as being a source of stress. No. It's not stressful when um, your white friends laugh at racist jokes. I wouldn't say that those are necessarily my very close white friends. Not at all. Um, those might be acquaintances. Those might just be people that I know. And yes, that is stressful. But are those my friends in the way that I've defined friendship as being a person that I trust? I'm able to talk.
talk authentically with? No. Um, those people, those associates, and I think words are, are important, um, that's stressed mm -hmm. a lot on this program. So mm -hmm. you wouldn't classify those people as friends that's laughing at racist jokes, but they are, what, acquaintances, associates? They are acquaintances, um, associates, yes. Are, they, as, are these people in a professional setting, and, and that's why you have to interact with them? Those sorts of interactions happen in professional settings. Okay. Um, they've happened, yeah, professional settings mostly, um, other sorts of dynamics where friendships haven't been developed yet. In your knowledge of history, um, of black history, and I know, noted that you said your white friends are also uh, very educated when it comes to black history or they're educated on black history. Uh, when we say black history, um, how far are you going back? Are you going back to the civil rights period or going back further than that? Well, I can't speak on the scope of all of their understanding of African-American history. I can't speak on that. Um, I should hope that they're able to go back further than the civil rights movement. Okay. And my last question is, um, you know, it seemed like I, I could be wrong, but it seemed like when you were talking about slavery, you were talking about it in past tense, and this is part of our history. Um, so uh, do you believe that slavery was abolished? I, I, I believe that it was abolished, but I believe that only on paper. I believe that it still plays itself out today. On what piece of paper was slavery abolished? Um, the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, that was like an executive order that dealt only mm -hmm. with, the, with the Civil War. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it has nothing to do with post-Civil War, and everyone was not freed uh, by the Emancipation Proclamation. Only those enslaved Africans that were in enemy territory of the federal government, uh, those who were not in rebellion were allowed to keep their slaves under the, I'm sorry, were allowed to continue to enslave people, um, you know, in, in those territories. So the Emancipation Proclamation was a wartime uh, piece of document that only applied to the Civil War. So, again, I got to ask you the question, what piece of paper um, that you're aware of ended slavery in this country? Nothing beyond that. So okay. that's why it still plays out today. Okay, well, I will just refer you to the 13th Amendment. Read the 13th Amendment that was passed in 1865, and you're an intelligent black woman, and mm -hmm. I, I, I believe you'll be able to figure it out. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other person that we had on the line, I don't know if they got disconnected or maybe somebody already asked their uh, question, but... Uh, that last person that had a hand up, if you got disconnected, if you did dial back in, I got maybe 20 seconds. Uh, you can press star six again to get your hand up and I'll get your uh, call through so you can ask your question to Miss Ward. Um, while I'm looking for them, I, I was just going to say it wasn't I know. And, and you're totally correct when you uh, have said consistently that um, your friends or what have you, that they um, it's been the Ferguson situation was all over everyone's Twitter feed or social media, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
The president of the United States uh, addressed the situation in Ferguson not once, but twice. He had to stop and give a press conference uh, back in August, late August, mid-August, when all of this was uh, going on. So it wasn't even just like Mm -hmm. a a social – this was like front page of the New York Times, front page of the BBC, uh, every major news outlet, not just social media, every major news outlet in the world uh, was talking about Al Jazeera, uh, wherever you get your news from. I don't – I think it would have been impossible over that two month stretch of time to have no knowledge about what was happening in Ferguson. Um, has it been your experience that white people frequently can be deceptive, particularly when we're talking about racism? What do you mean deceptive? Like not, not know or, or as not in being dishonest uh, as in just not telling the truth. Uh, so truth that they know what is happening, denying it. Yes, ma'am. Particularly in the context of conversations about racism. Has that been your mm-hmm. experience? No, I haven't. I haven't had anyone. Well, I wouldn't know if they were denying it or not. If they're denying it, why would they even bring it up? Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Well, that that is uh, that's been my experience pretty frequently. That particularly in conversations on, I would say, just in general, it's been my experience that uh, white people are very deceptive, even relating to what Mister Reed was just talking about with the uh, ending of uh, enslaving of non-white people. Uh, but it's been my experience, particularly when we start talking about racism, that white people can be very dishonest. And I'm just just based on what I read and the conversation that we've had, it would. Not surprise me if your white roommate was being dishonest. Um, just, I just can't imagine a person not having any information. I'm not saying he had to follow it every day and all that, but I just can't imagine somebody not knowing about what was happening at that at that time. But I could be in error. Uh, the person did, I guess, get their hand up. So the last caller, two one six five. Did you have a question for Miss Ward? Yeah. Hi, Gus. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. And Miss Ward, I want to thank you for. Um, for writing and speaking about uh, being tired of suppressing yourself, because I, I feel similar. Um, and earlier in the conversation, you said something about um, about us not leaving space for us to have honest dialogue about difficult difficult subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you had any suggestions for maybe opening that type of dialogue? Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think that you can have genuine conversations, like talk about the things that you like to do, talk about a movie that you want to see, whatnot. And that provides like, room to start having other conversations, uncomfortable conversations with that person that you're trying to talk about race with. Do you find that when you do uh, begin to speak about race with white people, they get, uh, they automatically go on the defensive a lot? The conversations that I've had about race with um, some of my friends, um, and people that I've just in generally have talked about it with haven't been defensive, actually. They've been very, um, they've been willing to listen. They've been wanting to understand my perspective and where I'm coming from. Um, they've, they've done a lot of explaining 
to me and things that I don't understand about, like, why they don't understand this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, They've been able to tell me about, like, hey, um, I may have grown up somewhere where there was only a few black people that I grew up with, and that's why I don't understand this. Or um, people coming to me and saying, there's a lot of white guilt, um, but um, in no way did I mean to ever feel like, want you to feel like I don't care. Like, I wanted to go out and protest with you. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, and also... So never defensive. Uh, Not yet, for me. Okay. Well, I, I, but I'm still I, I, in a place where I'm, I haven't had... I haven't had but so many conversations. I can be right. honest with that. With white people, there's only but so many I've had. So I'm sure that there will be times when there is some opposition or pushing up or defensiveness within those conversations. But so far, no, there hasn't. Okay, because in my experience, you know, even bringing mm-hmm. up institutional race to some people, people mm-hmm. tend to. Uh, react in a defensive manner as if I'm calling them a racist, but you know, that's mm-hmm. just in my experience. But um, also, you mentioned that um, sometimes your white friends will make offhanded jokes about um, fried chicken or nappy hair. Um, and I was wondering if, you know, you ever thought if they're that comfortable saying things like that around you, what might they be saying when they're not around? Did that ever cross your mind? what they may be saying when I'm not around. Right, like if they're comfortable if making... They, if they were willing to make those sorts of comments while I'm around? If they make those comments when you are around, does it make you wonder what they might be saying when you're not there? It does, most definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. But I try not to... It does. I do think about... Well, if they were willing to make that type of response while I'm in the room, and that may be an edited version of it, then what would they say if I wasn't in the room? Um, It can be stressful, but, um, yeah, those conversations um, can be really stressful. Those thoughts about what may be said when you're not there can be really stressful, yes. Okay, well, thank you for answering my questions. Mm-hmm. And no thanks again for speaking out. No problem. Have a good night. You too. Spectacular. Hit all of the callers. Hope everybody got their questions in that they wanted to uh, address. Uh, the article that we have been uh, focused on for most of the evening, uh, it is at salon.com. I'm tired of suppressing myself to get along with white people. Uh, It was just published a week ago today. You can check it out. Uh, It's got well over 500 comments already. Very interesting read. And again, uh, our guest, she has quite a bit of other constructive material. Uh, You can check out uh, more of her online content. Uh, It's linked uh, on the Facebook page. I'm going to tweet it as well. It is pward.pressfolios.com dot com uh, where you can see her bio as well as other uh, great 
freelance writing that she has done. Really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate you uh, hanging in to take all of our questions. I uh, hope it was a fruitful exchange for everyone involved. Um, we mm-hmm. will definitely uh, keep an eye out for your work and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the program, see how your, your roommate situation evolves over the next few months. And uh, Yes, there's a, there's a part two coming, so <laughs> stay tuned. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm we, writing. We there's will... more to this. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. We will we will definitely share. Um, you can uh, email or I will be on the lookout. So we'll definitely have an eye out for uh, the new piece. And we, we definitely would look forward to having you back on the program to continue the dialogue if you're interested. All right. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Stay safe. Stay warm. Stay warm. Stay warm. I, uh, I'm a <laughs> fan of the cold weather. So stay safe and stay warm. All right. Will do. Thank you. Have a great evening. We'll speak soon. All right. Bye. Good night. Context of white supremacy. Um, we had so many callers. I uh, hope everybody got their questions in and what have you. Everybody did a great job. Great job asking questions. When we have that many uh, higher volume of callers, grand if everybody can just question, 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 because then we can get to uh, everybody. I'm glad I got to the callers a little bit earlier than we normally do. Um, some of the comments that stood out to me, I'm not going to read them all, but there were a few that kind of caught my eye. I was gonna, If we had more time, I would have asked her to get her response to some of these uh, comments. There was one person they wrote, uh, I understand where she comes from, but we all deal with it. Maybe it's more prominent in her world, but guess what? I bet her white roommate many a times felt he better edit himself Uh, He better keep an opinion to himself. He better use this word instead of that word. When we're around others that are different from ourselves, we are cautious not to be ignorant. Sometimes it comes out unintentionally. It goes both ways, though. That was one person. Uh, The next person's comment, they wrote, I'm sorry you feel the way you do, but you know what? Nobody cares about things that are foreign to their daily lives until they somewhat get exposed to them would you really say you are too but you are all too familiar with the problems gays are facing on a day-to-day basis or the disabled or people of other minority groups for that matter question mark uh she also uh I am not even talking about all those things happening all over the world that we don't even care to hear about. Yet, if at the slightest sign of lack of knowledge, you will be seeking to crawl back to your nest, the system will go on perpetuating itself. If you have a grievance and feel to share it, share it before judging people too much of buffoons to show plight. Even many blacks surely would not understand what a black woman or any woman would be going through. Will you cast them off as well as ignorance? However, we all get hurt or are excluded for this reason or that and can try to understand each other once either of us makes an attempt to break that ice. Otherwise, I cannot say much if you enjoy pushing yourself into a ghetto. Um, There was one other comment it was kind of lengthy so i will uh push on that one but if you have the time if you check out the report definitely make the time to read the report but then if you have the time scroll down and check out uh some of the comments as i said it's over well over 500 at this point it's only been up a week so and if there's going to be a part two i'm sure there will be more to come uh with that um 
I'm just going to check to see if the folks had anything that they wanted to share. Uh, before I do that, there was one comment from the Saturday program. I played a news report that was talking about body cameras and it was a report talking about these different police officers and uh, different unexpected problems or their own views about body cameras. And I think they had a white person. He was a retired enforcement officer. And he was saying that he would not recommend anyone to join a police department where they had body cameras because he felt that uh, if something goes wrong and you have to shoot someone, that you're going to be vilified and excoriated in the press and called a murderer and all this other stuff. And they were talking about there was a shooting incident that happened not too long ago where a white officer was shot and killed by another white person, both racist suspects, and then the perpetrator shot himself. And, uh, and uh, with this piece, they released the video because the officer that was shot and killed, he did, ha he did have a uh, body camera on. And so the town where this happened, they released the video footage. Uh, I think the town, someone filed a uh, FOI request and so they got the footage, but the police department stopped it right at the moment where you can see the gun. So you don't actually see the officer being shot or the person shooting themselves. And the reason, the justification they gave was that they didn't want to traumatize the officer's family. Now, I thought the significance, and I thought it was quite profound, the significance of that was, now, how many videos have we seen just in the last six months mm -hmm. of black people being terrorized, pummeled, killed, choked, shot, and they just keep it looped on a 24-hour cycle? They don't have that same regard. And I'm not saying, I mean, hey, I think for some people, they would say that's constructive. That way, nobody can be in denial. We understand what's going down and all of that. But I have said consistently, even if you want to rewind to last week with uh, suspected race soldier Susan Patton, this is terrorism. This is another element of terrorism. When you keep, and I've said pretty much since this summer, you can go all the way back. Uh, pick pick your victim, Marlene Pennant, right? Uh, Dr. Ursula Orr, we were just talking about that recently. Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, his sister, pick your victim. Uh, that showing these images where there is no punishment, there is no indictment, where you just consistently have black people, even children, being pummeled. They had a pregnant black female in New York where the officer grabbed her and put her in a chokehold. This happened after Eric Garner. Where you keep putting out all of these images and it's just done with the impunity that that is another form of terrorism. They understand that. And what they said in that clip where they didn't want to show this white officer being killed. They didn't want to subject his white family to that same sort of trauma that black people are subjected to on a constant global basis. I thought that was hugely important. I had that in my notes to share uh, Saturday and I just uh, neglected uh, to get that piece in. But I thought that was uh, extremely important. That was one. Two, uh, Charles Blow. Uh, I've read quite a few of his uh, articles. He talks about racism all the time uh, in the New York Times. He had an interesting piece on today, actually. I don't know if it's in the physical paper, but it's online. I, it's been my experience that the things that are online for the New York Times, particularly if it's something that's published uh, today, that frequently will not be in the actual physical paper until the next day. So I don't know if it's in the hard copy or not, but it is online where he wrote a piece about his son, uh, who apparently is a student at Yale, was stopped at gunpoint in order to get out on the ground. Uh, and he wrote about this. Um, I'm of the opinion that he is not ignorant, that he was not surprised, that he was just angry, as any 
black mother, any black father would be if their child was stopped at gunpoint uh, on a college campus where they are a tuition paying student. Uh, I'm of the opinion that he was not ignorant, that he was not surprised. This was not a wake up call for him because he writes about this all the time. He's been writing about Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, blah, blah, blah. Pick your ends. He's been writing about this long, long time. Uh, I'm quite sure he is very aware uh, of what is happening with all this, even though he might not agree with, you know, my definition or whatever the case may be. But I didn't take it that it was surprised. I took it that he was outraged and logically speaking, and he wrote about it, not suppressing his black rage as an attempted black father. And in fact, if you read the article, if you get to the bottom of it, you'll see him saying that he dreaded the day uh, that he actually feared uh, the moment that he would share this same sort of experience uh, with his black child and what could have happened uh, in this situation. But it's a very interesting read. I would encourage folks to check it out. I think I posted it as well. Uh, on the final note, um, I also posted, uh, since we are here in record-breaking temperature Seattle, uh, of course, they're preparing for their ball game this coming Sunday. Uh, the black male running back, Marshawn Lynch, I posted before where he has gotten all these fines for grabbing uh, his genitals when he scores uh, touchdowns. And apparently he got fined again last week because he did it last week in the championship game. And they uh, NFL, they sent out some notification that there was going to be a very stiff penalty if he continues to do this, if he does this in the game this coming weekend. And uh, I was just cracking up laughing with all of this focus on balls the past week with the whole deflate gate thing with the Patriots and now this, and they had a big color printout. He did this in November and they fined him, I think like $10,000 or so, $11,000 uh, when he did this in November and they had a huge, uh, I think I posted it back then, but it was like a full, it was actually, it was, I think two pages uh, where they had this in the Seattle times where it was a fold out. So you could have a huge fold out color picture of this black male clutching his genitals as he goes into the end zone to score his touchdown. And I was like, that is the huge Wellsing moment. If I've ever seen one and I actually called her yesterday <laughs> to ask her. And I, before I called her, I reread the chapter in the ISIS papers on why whites, why just in the whole of white supremacy culture, there's so much obsessive focus on balls, ball games and genital references. It's all throughout uh, American Sniper. And I called her and told her about this and she was just cracking up laughing. She didn't know about this, but she just thought this was the funniest thing and right in line with, you know, but she, she knew about the deflate gate thing, but she just thought this was right in line. Exactly what I've been writing about for the last uh, 40 years. And she should be on the program right at kickoff uh, for this coming Sunday at uh, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific uh, game time. So if you got to watch, you press your mute button and you can check out Dr. Welsing back on the program this coming Sunday. Uh, I will stop there. Uh, we've had a variety of little uh, quirks and background noises. So if you are on the line, you have your hand up. If you have nothing to say, if you could press your mute button, that would be helpful. Uh, if you have any comments that you want to get in about what you heard during the broadcast, uh, we have about 20 minutes or so. Uh, the people that are on the line, your line should be open if anybody had comments that they wanted to make sure they got in. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the guest. Uh, what's her name again? Ms. Priscilla uh, Ward. Miss <laughs> Ward. Uh, I found that she uh, kept on picking white people out of the out of the group, 
and uh, individualizing them and not seeing them as acting as a group practicing racism. And I think when I, when I, hear, when I hear her talking, I just keep on thinking sad. Oh, but I forget what the acronyms mean. Can you tell me what they mean again? Um, uh, making the, S, making space for good white people. A is abstract. Uh, we are not talking about white supremacy, white terrorism uh, as something that's specific. Flesh and blood whites do. We have to talk about this in a really vague, nebulous, abstract sense. It's not just tied to this is the product of what white children, white females, white males are engaged in criminal activity, criminal behavior on their part. It's not talked about in that sense. It's got to be abstract. The first D in SAD, uh, divided loyalties. Uh, and that is a direct quote. There was a victim. She wrote a book, non-white female. I would say her name because she was kind of rude to me and she was not a black person. So I don't feel <laughs> much regard. If I remembered her name, I would say it, but it was a non-white female. She wrote this book. She agreed to be a guest on the program. And then she wrote back and said that I'm married to a white man and I don't feel like having all this stress in my life talking about all this. I'm just trying to, you know, get through my day and, and chill out. And I'm not trying to have any uh, serious, you know, conversations uh, about uh, racism, but having divided loyalties as a victim of racism, uh, you end up uh, not being sure about what you're supposed to be doing in the war of white supremacy. Uh, that's the first D. And the second D is they're linked defending whites. We can't have a conversation about racism without the victim sticking up for whites and, you know, minimizing white terrorism. It's not that bad. There's some good white people uh, got to have a defense attorney present to make sure that we are not speaking ill of racists. Sad. S-A-D-D. It's on the blog. Uh, can I be heard? <clears throat> yes, sir. Yeah, I was thinking um, that, you know, giving white people the benefit of the doubt, if I was a, you know, I, I, can't, I can't speak for, for, you know, I don't know about white males, but, you know, I <laughs> just having them sit back and say, like, you know, uh, all white, you know, so here, here's a black female or, or whatever, you know, in this case, you know, saying that, you know, that not all white people are bad or whatever the case may be. And, you know, uh, you know, we have to give them the benefit of doubt all the way to where, uh, you know, you hopping in, you hopping in the bed with them. You know what I'm saying, and you know I could just see why people say, "Yeah, it works for me." You know what I'm saying? Like that just gets, man. I mean, you just get, you just get everything. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's like the ultimate. Uh, you know, like why you, you could just see how like I'm not going to change. You know, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to speak anything against that. Um, you know, I, I just I'm getting everything that I possibly want. You know what I'm saying? So it's just. Yeah, it is sad. I, I, I sent Gus that same, uh, those, the, you know, that same uh, sentiment, like, sad, you know what I mean? But nothing she said made any sense, you know what I'm saying? It was just like, this is what I think. Uh, who knows where I'm getting these ideas from, but, you know, I'm just, it's just like, you know, I'm living on another planet, and this is the planet I'm, you know, I'm choosing to live on. Um, as far as the art piece, man, you know, I... I you know they have another African uh, African American Film Festival out here. And, you know the art scene is 
is, 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 is really racist, you know what I'm saying? Black artists are complaining all the time, you know what I'm saying, about how their work is devalued and whatnot. But so I was thinking about that, like, you know, that, you know, like, you know, this is a racist scene, you know what I mean? And, and you know, and, and white people putting, you know, just white people putting these um, um, images, you know, that, that blacks are creating, you know, some of them are wax, some of them are true statements. But just having these images of like Trayvon Martin, the hoodie stuff, like I, I, I've seen, you know, because my aunt, she used to sell art, and, we, and that was like one of my, you know, first jobs as a youngster was going around with her, taking these, taking these images out, you know, out the, out the van and showing them to black people in their homes and different places or whatever. And you know, a lot of times white people would be there, and she would complain about how, you know, but then I'm kind of making a long story, but she would always complain about how. You know, white like like white people will buy the pieces, and black people are just there for 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 the for the food or something. You know, but I think an interesting piece would be to show how white people are very codified. They are extremely codified. Like you can, you know, like so if you had a piece where you would ask a question, or or you know maybe show an image and and then ask a question, um, you know, does, does this you know is 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 white supremacy terror terrorism? And then have it to where the you know the, the 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 viewer would have to pick whether that person said yes or no, you know what I mean? I mean because they're 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 extremely codified. I think what you will find is that <laughs> I would be interested to see, to, to see what you know, the, like what would, would, would black people pick? Like oh yeah, they were you know like this, some some Jewish person, you know. Yeah, of course they gonna say, yeah, this is terrorist. This is the terrorism. You know what I'm saying? Of course it's terrorism. And then you know, see the answer and just see how you know really codified they are. You know, that was just one idea, but the concept is to show in our piece how codified white people are. I think that would be, I think that would be very uh, um, interesting and something I would I would like to see produced. Hey, Gus. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, question. Um, I'm not sure what all is going on with um, Marshawn Lynch, but um, I, they said he had an incident where they didn't want him to go on the field with some gold shoes. Is that correct? Yes, that happened, I believe it was earlier this year. And he, from pictures that I have seen, he is still wearing <laughs> these gold cleats. But the uh, the NFL, I think they have a lot of uh, very strict policies about uniform like it's been uh i've seen reports before where they find people because they didn't wear the correct socks or they weren't the correct length or all these other crazy things about uh uniform so yeah he was wearing i think his cleats had uh gold soles gold bottoms and that was in somehow in violation of the policies that whites have set up in the nfl and he got fined or reprimanded for that as well so do you think or have you heard anything in Seattle about if he wants to rebel and just say he's going to sit out the Super Bowl? Do no. You think they would find, do you think they would find him, or or would he be kicked off the team or something like that? Or how do you I, think that would unfold? I haven't heard anything about him saying he's you know going to sit out the Super Bowl. He seems to like wanting for his team. He's one of the best players on the team. Many people would say he's the best player. Uh, on the team. So I haven't heard anything about that. I did see a tweet where 
Uh, apparently, both he and another teammate uh, grabbed their growing area in the game last week, and both of them got fined. And he tweeted, this was in the Seattle Times either today or yesterday, they said that uh, he tweeted that uh, he is embarrassed to be employed in the NFL where they find people for this sort of nonsense. So I have seen some quotes where he has uh, expressed extreme displeasure and made it plain his feelings uh, about the uh, NFL. And perhaps maybe he's a $40 million slave, but uh, I haven't seen anything where he's, you know, said he's going to sit out the, the Super Bowl. Okay. On, a, on another note with the body camera, um, I'm not sure if you've seen the um, the latest shooting, which was in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma. Uh, it was a body camera. A police officer shot a young fella, a uh, black guy, running away with it, and he picked up his gun and shot him, shot him six times, I believe. Uh, that's been looping on the news and on you know social media also too. Uh, I kind of look at the way they loop blacks being terrorized on the, on the news as a couple of scenes out of. 12 years of slavery when was his name Solomon was sitting there on a tree hanging for like half the day. And you had blacks in the background, just playing like, you know, just, you know, regular old day. And the same thing when he was whipping her and they were standing by just looking, I think they do that just to terrorize us. And it puts us in a state of, um, where we just paralyzed and we just sit there and we can't do anything or we don't want to do anything or we don't know what to do. And we just left sitting there. We can see it. And we just walk around saying, look what they're doing to us. Don't you see it? Look what they're doing. So don't you see it? And we don't do anything. Uh, I think there has, there needs to come a time when black folks need to react, um, to do something, you know, and just stop being paralyzed and just looking at it and making it just like it's the norm. So I, I have seen a lot of black people doing things that I, I always make sure I give pushback on that. I've seen a lot of black people uh, doing things uh, in response to white terrorism up to and including killing white people. I have seen a lot of that happening uh, even over the last five years. I'm sorry, in, the, in the event of, I remember there was an incident where I think a guy was shot running from police and the police you know, somebody wanted to go to his aid. Same thing with the guy that asked shot in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma. You see the, the preacher running up and saying, hey, let me check on the guy. I know you shot him, but let me check on him. And the police officers, no. And even when they, you know, stopped and, you know, they, they had the scene uh, secured, none of the police officers went over to check on him to see what touch him. They just automatically, oh, he's gone. Same thing with Eric Gardner. You know, he was shot, but not shot, choked. But, you know, even when the, the paramedics walked up, they didn't even try to, you know, resuscitate him. And you have people standing around also too, just looking like do something and people are there. No one's doing anything in the event of, I'm not talking about the protest or things like that, but we're just standing there shocked and not doing nothing to try to save some, somebody in the, in the heat of it. That's what, that's what I mean by that. Oh, I mean, the, with the police are there in those situations, uh, you could end up, you could be the next Eric Garner. If you, you know, are not, obeying uh, the officers on the scene. I think Vernelia Randall, Dr. Vernelia Randall talked about that with the Tamir Rice situation because his mom came uh, and she was not paralyzed. She was trying to take care of both her daughter who had been thrown to the ground and thrown in the uh, police vehicle as well as her son who was about to expire. Uh, she was not paralyzed and they told her, hey, this is a crime scene. You're going to behave or 
same thing could happen to you. Uh, so, you know, that's that's just racism, white supremacy. I wouldn't say that's being paralyzed. I say that's just another aspect of white people practicing racism and how they restrict what you're going to do, even in how you're going to respond when they have arrested, tased, choked, killed, terrorized, bludgeoned a black person. Right. I think you can't really uh, uh, don't don't expect that because black people are not going no time soon. Jump in the middle of uh, a black person getting brutalized and a police officer. But I was thinking too, like uh, another another thing that we do is we come up with a lot of. I mean, this is interesting how terror terror terrorism, man. You you know you can deal with it in a lot of ways, and some ways you can do you deal with it is just. Like giving white people the benefit of doubt, like saying that they're your best friend, even though, you know, they could be, you, you know, you say that they can be racist. I mean, when you hear a lot of, uh, when you hear stuff like that, and you hear people talking, and you just like, you know, oh, that's just a throwaway person. Like, you don't even know what to say. Like, you really want to just tell them, like, man, you're 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 an idiot. You know what I'm saying? And I don't even know why yeah. you're talking right now. But that's a that's a that's a re- that's a consequence of the, of the terrorism. It's just a, it's just how another person decided to. Uh, deal with the deal with the stress and you know like that what was that guest that you had on Gus that she was she was basically um that that, that one guest you said you got to listen to her for hours and and a black male was, was like Susan a dialogue Patton. with her Susan Patton Susan Patton that show was man I love that show man like I'm just glad that you got that on the record because she shouldn't be talking to nobody and for the I mean it's it just like like talk to her for what you know i mean like i'm glad you got her on the record but just to think that this that, you know this doctor you know what i mean is it having dialogue with this person that's that that's like a she was like a she, she kind of reminded me of one of those you know like she was a liar but she was she was like one of those like a uh i don't know i, I just she was like one of them uh it was kind of nauseating like how you get you know people were saying that they were getting sick just listening to her, you know what I mean? It was just like she was, she was, she was so proud and just like you know her opinions and everything was 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 on point. And of course she's right and you're wrong. And and then you would just 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 you know make simple points and and, and say what you said, you know. And she would just say, you know, just stop, not stop and say, oh wow, I'm tripping. You know, I said maybe I should shut up or you know this whole thing is wrong. She would just move on to the next, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, you just proved me wrong right there. Uh, on to the next, you know. But yeah, this black man, is, you know, even though he, I, I do want him to have that show, so he can ask her. I mean, so she can ask him about uh, how does how does he feel, whether he would say it's terrorism or not. But after that, it's like, don't talk to her no more. Like for what? But uh, you know, like that one show. But it's just like that's another reaction to the terrorism. It's like you're talking to somebody for that that. You're having all you spend you wasting all this time with this person trying to have some type of dialogue, and just her whiteness really was is enough to get her on TV and have her have her make all these uh, uh, erroneous statements and just her white femaleness, man, is is enough to and you know I guess you know she went to Princeton or whatever, but just her being a white female is kind of like her her opinions are valid in some type of way when they when they're not they don't make sense. But she was. Do you think she was? Do you think she was refined or no? She was a fast talker. I think she's skilled enough that she would. Uh, she would tear up most black people. She would be able to effectively control uh, conversation and spread a lot of uh, confusion uh, with most 
uh, black people. Um, I think she's accustomed to just being able to go in and I'm white. And then she throws in the Jewish curveball and, um, you know, she can just say whatever she wants to or go to the ignorance route. Like I haven't seen her have uh, discussions with other uh, black people. I've only seen her uh, talking to Dr. Uh, Boyce Watkins and then, you know, what the way she conducted herself on this program. But uh, my suspicion is that she would be able it would not be tough for her at all to go and say whatever she wants to say. It's not terrorism. Don't you be saying that and blah, blah, blah. She would be very effective. She would steamroll, I think, most black people with the presentation that she has. And as you said, just being a white person, that's that's huge off the rip right there. I had a um a question also about why Dr. Uh, Watkins would continue to have conversations like that uh with her. Um I I don't see uh, conversations with someone like that being constructive. By the way, this is Scotty um from North Carolina. Um I think that in my opinion she fits she fits the uh definition of a sociopath, a person with a a uh, psychopathic personality whose behavior is antisocial, often criminal, and who lacks a sense of moral responsibility or social conscience. Um, I, I, in no Ooh, way, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, whoa, I agree 1,000%. Yeah, and um, I, in no way do I believe this woman is ignorant. I do not believe she just takes what she sees on the news and, and not do other research and, and that the, the news, you know, six o'clock news is forming all of her opinions about black people. I think she was being very deceptive. Um, but I did have, have some comments uh, uh, about the guest uh, who was just on the black, the black woman. I forget, forget her name. Uh, what's her name again? Priscilla Ward. Oh, yes. Miss Ward. Um, you know, when I hear people talk about they know history or they know African-American history, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, who taught you that history? Um, did you learn about it f from books that were put together by white people? Uh, was your teacher white? That even if your teacher was a non-white person, did they deviate from the curriculum and give you some extra study uh, lessons to study, but and, and then when I asked her the question about you know you're using slavery in past tense, um, you know where did you learn that from? Oh, well, it's on paper. Well, what piece of paper? Well, the the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. Again, she didn't seem to understand what the Proclamation uh, Emancipation Proclamation was and what it applied to, and that it did not even free everyone. And and so, but she had an awareness that something wasn't right, um, that slavery still exists. And, you know, so she said, well, it's on paper, but it's not being practiced. And I'm paraphrasing her words. So she has, she has an awareness that something isn't right. You know, that y'all said that y'all abolished slavery, but I'm looking out here in the world, in this country, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like slavery's been abolished, but she just couldn't put her finger on it. And, and so again, this is again the deception of white people. Uh, through through media, through so-called history, through education, curriculum. Um, again, going back to um, the uh, Klansville, USA, you know, they were being very deceptive and leaving out a lot of important North Carolina history that I felt was central. If you're going to tell a story about white terrorism in North Carolina, then it, how can you leave out? 
a Robert F. Williams. And in speaking to uh, one of the callers when they said about, you know, when we see somebody being choked out, terrorized, brutalized by police, you know, how most of us are paralyzed or whatnot. Now, I would not, I would not recommend jumping in, but I would recommend, you know, standing back at a safe distance. I called the police department here in my county and asked them if I want to record police, is there a law that says I have to be back a certain distance and whatnot? He said, the um, training sergeant told me, no, you don't have to be, it, there's no set, you know, amount of feet or yards you have to be back you just you just can't be interfering but you are free to record uh anything you like in in public so i, I would recommend pulling out cameras i will uh, uh recommend yelling and saying stop you're killing him you're choking her uh if this necessary you know because you just don't want to stand there and 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 watch another person just be, especially a, a non-white person, just be killed. I mean, that might give the police some pause that, hey, you know, I got a witness to my crime right here. I may not want to go through with this. And, and so I would recommend that. Uh, in terms of what, you know, I've been reading up again on uh, Negroes with Guns, uh, see, we need to go back to what they were doing with armed patrols, the black guard, and we need to be organizing these in our communities, and I believe that that will go a long way in preventing or lessening uh, the amount of killings that's going in in our neighborhoods. It's safety in numbers, uh, number one. Um, if you are armed, according to whatever the laws of your state, that might also give them pause. Um, so I, I think that we tend to think that we've made so much progress in, in terms of history in the United States, and the evidence doesn't suggest that. You know, uh, police brutality has been going on since the first po police department was created. So we had to look back, in my opinion, to see what did work and what I saw Robert Williams doing in that black community of Monroe, North Carolina was doing and other communities, I, I think what they were they were on to something that it did it did work. And so that will take organization, that will co take commitment, that will take, you know, people willing to step up and be a volunteer to, you know, it's my shift to go out on community patrol and um, make sure that, you know, these terrorists aren't in, 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 our, in our neighborhood or in our community terrorizing folks. So we just have to be smart about it, uh, of course, recognizing that we're behind enemy lines. Thank you. Hey, Gus, can we stop there real quick? Oh, yes, sir. Um, I, I think some of you guys got me um, a little bit confused on what I'm saying, paralyzed. Uh, what I'm talking about, like the Eric Gardner case, um, where he was choked out, and what I mean, where we just paralyzed, although we, we can't intervene, you, you saw the paramedics show up, the EMT show up, and no one's trying to save the person, and we're just stuck there. Although it was a police crime, and then you see police and everybody else, rise and they're not doing anything to save the person's life in that moment and and what i'm talking about is we're paralyzed where we can't do anything at all because of the police is there and they say well it's a, it's a crime scene don't do anything well can you resuscitate him can you right. do something else for him can you and all we can do is just take our phones out and just record it but the person's laying there dying like i i, I can't remember the the footage where this guy got shot he laid in the he laid in the street shot bleeding to death and people just like, hey, 
help him out, do something. It was like, stand back, stand back. Well, can you help him out? He's bleeding to death. You got him. He's not going to go anywhere. Can we, can we, uh, you know, apply pressure to the wound or something like that? You, you're going to get him. He's, he's not running anywhere. But it's like, no, stand back, stand back. And while we're standing back, he slowly died. Same thing with Tamir Rice. We're trying to come in and help out. You know, he's not going to go anywhere. But can we stop the, 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 the bleeding or something? And the police officer standing back like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just keep y'all back, stand back until someone come up. Same thing with Eric Garner. We stood back until someone came up. The ENT show up, and they didn't do anything. All you see is a lady tapping this neck, take her for a pulse. And then the police officer said, you're going to be okay, but you stay, stay in there. And that's, that's why we're being paralyzed. We're not, we're not able to step in and apply any help when the police officer is right there. They're not trying to you know, resuscitate or do anything in that moment. That's what I mean by that. Come on, jump in and shoot some shot. Yeah, understood. I understood uh, uh, what you meant, and that's why I was saying, you know, shout at them, say this and that. And uh, also in New York, there was a case of a teenager who was thrown through a car window by police, and a piece of the glass was sticking in his uh, lung, in his chest cavity, and they just put the handcuffs on him, wasn't going to do nothing. And there was a crowd that formed around. This was in a black neighborhood. A crowd formed around, and they yelled, and they screamed at the police and said, you know, take the handcuffs off from even the paramedic, you know, was t trying to get them to take the handcuffs off so they could treat him. And they were going to let him bleed out. But because that crowd had formed and they were yelling and they were saying he's going to die, uh, you need to take those handcuffs off so he can be treated properly, they, they finally relented. And so, I mean, it, you're not going to always get the same outcome, but I think that's better than doing nothing. Um, that's the very least you can do, in my opinion. Hey, Gus, let me give out the three F's. is fight, flight, or freeze. And, you know, those are, they call the three F's, you know, you either fight, fight, or freeze. And I think that when you teach that survival is the first law of nature to people, and, you know, that's their, that's, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's their perception. Instead of uh, justice is more important than, 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 you know, survival, you know what I'm saying, then, um, you know, we just you had to change the minds of people, man. And if they're thinking that survival is the first law of nature, and uh, they they they'll probably choose they'll probably freeze or flee. One last comment, if I may, about the guest. Um, I was thinking, and I, it slipped my mind. I wanted to mention this. I think she would have been helped. She would she would be helped uh, greatly to participate in workplace racism uh, on Saturday nights. Um, I had never thought of it, but, you know, when uh, Gus was saying last week about needing full of say, ask questions, and I was thinking when, when I was listening to her tell this story about, you know, these people telling racist jokes is, you know, is that proper for you to be telling those jokes on the job? Is that professional? Um, you know, I wouldn't be trying to, look, white people aren't ignorant. They know the joke is racist before they tell it, and she seems to think that they are ignorant. And so if the jokes make her uncomfortable, then, you know, like Gus was saying last week, what Nina Fuller suggested, ask questions. Is that appropriate? You know, how would you feel if, if, you know, can I make jokes about, you know, the Jewish Holocaust or can I make jokes about these two white boys that got executed in Detroit for trying to rob a black joke, uh, drug dealer? You know, is that appropriate? You know, ask those questions. I think she would be greatly helped by workplace racism. Greetings. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, yes, I, I agree, Mr. Reed, uh, uh, with your uh, suggestion. Uh, I just heard uh, a small part of uh, the interview, and uh, it reminded me of of uh, non-white people that I would be around about you know, about fifteen twenty years ago. Uh, you know, looking for the nice white people, quote unquote. Um, and at the same time, a lot of us uh, would uh, be like pro, bo pro bono attorneys for uh, white people, defending uh, those white people that we think are nice, or the assumption that there are some white people that are uh, can be worthy of the title friend. Uh, but I, the only thing I can say otherwise is VGQ, you know, to it and keep moving, you know, as far as they're concerned. Uh, you're going to, those, those, that type of, uh, personality you're going to have in this war because white supremacy is a, uh, the byproduct of white supremacy is confused non-white people. Uh, I heard someone speaking about, uh, some personalities, uh, that were be participating in the Super Bowl. Two significant people happen to be non-white males, uh, Mr. Lynch, and uh, uh, it just slipped my tongue. What's the defensive back name? Uh, oh, Mr. Sherman, Sherman, Rich Sherman. Uh, I think of, of, uh, I think about Mr. Sherman. Uh, he is very, very articulate. I, 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 I think he has. I would, it'd be my guess, he has a. A, a good understanding of the system of racism. Uh, man, I was sure like for, for, to, for him to be interviewed by you, if you can get your hands on him, you know, some kind of way. Uh, he, he made an excellent comment uh, this uh, about a couple of days ago on the uh, on this this so-called incident that took place with the uh, with the ball, with the footballs being uh, slightly deflated. And he mentioned about the uh, uh, nothing going to happen out of that because the commissioner, the commissioner and the owner of the Patriots are, uh, are, are in each other's homes, you know, and 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 something is something as simple as that. But yet, but at the same time, most non-white black people would not reveal that type of uh, uh, statement about the quote-unquote person that's in charge of their of their job, you know, wouldn't be bold enough to do it, you know, uh, uh, and, and he spoke right to it. He spoke right to it, and, and I've heard him on many occasions make uh, such comments that tells me that he has a level of, of, uh, of intelligence that, uh, that uh, uh, about, you know, what's going on on things. Uh, about Mr. Lynch, he is so honest in a quiet way. Uh, I, I really admire his, his how, how honest he is. And at the same time, at the same time, he would not. He he, he seems to to not want to be in a box on how to how to uh, uh, come. He never had the idea of mind of wanting to leave from the environment where he grew up at. For one thing. And he and he goes back into that environment every chance he gets uh, to uh, to to uh, associate 
with the very people you grew up with, which is kind of like becoming something that is not popular amongst uh, a lot of uh, athletes uh, who don't want to be seen in that light, but he doesn't mind. And that part, that part about him, I, 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 I like because uh, I, I spent a great deal of time around a lot of football players. I've been a football coach myself since 1981, and a lot of these, a lot of the guys that I've coached have played on that level and are presently on that level. And uh, I like to see guys like him. He reminds me a whole lot. If anybody knows about uh, Dwayne Thomas back in the 1970s, uh, he he reminds me a whole lot like Dwayne Thomas. Uh, uh, as far as his his uh, reluctance to uh, want to be interviewed and to have a whole lot of verbiage uh, to a lot of these uh, uh, questions that they uh, are asking him, and uh, he reminds me a lot of of, of Dwayne Thomas. And if, if anybody wants to know, just just put up on your search engine uh, Dwayne Thomas Dallas Cowboys and whatnot, and find out about the background of his story and what made him uh, a subject uh, outside of football, outside of sports uh, himself. And I, he's still alive. He looks very good also in his, in his age, uh, but uh, very, very similar, very similar uh, circumstances, very similar reactions that he has, uh, similar to what Dwayne Thomas uh, had back about 30, 40 years ago. Uh, but that's that's all I have for right now. Thank you. Appreciate that. We uh, did our three hours. Uh, we will wrap things up there. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday. Uh, we should have a black male guest this Wednesday. Uh, we should have a white woman on the program on Thursday. Uh, as I said, she wrote, uh, has written a bunch of articles for the New York Times. Uh, they are ostensibly to get white people to talk to their white children about racism so that these white children will not grow up to practice racism. Ostensibly, that's what her reports in the New York Times are about. She should be here on uh, Thursday. So uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Dr. Welsing, we should be very active, closed out of uh, January. Uh, apparently, it was record-setting heat here in the uh, Pacific Northwest area today, 66 degrees, lovely. If you are in the snow and freezing, sending warm vibrations, uh, stay warm, stay inside, boots, all that stuff. Keep your uh, hands, ears uh, as warm as possible. I hate the cold weather. I hope you're able to uh, make it as best you can. Uh, there is one thing that I'll say. I am pleased uh, nobody got really right. Oh, and to make sure I clarify, our guest, she was asked if she had had sexual intercourse with a white person and she said no uh, just to make sure that that is clear she was asked directly and she said no at any rate um i know a lot of people have said that they come in contact with people that are uh a bit more confused uh maybe about racism and it can be frustrating i think this was a great illustration of how you can have dialogue uh, with someone if you have come to the conclusion that this person might be a little bit more confused about racism, or at minimum, they just don't agree. They don't have the same opinion as, as you do uh, in terms of being patient, where you're not going off on the person, calling them names, you Sambo, Uncle Tom, and what is wrong, you know, all that. And I just haven't seen where that is 
uh, constructive. Uh, and you never know. Uh, this person is, t- I didn't know she was that young. She's 24. Uh, she has uh, a lot of room to change her mind. I, I don't know if she will have white friends, uh, quote unquote, uh, when she's 34 or 44, 54 down the road. I don't know how that will change as uh, she gets a bit older and learns a bit more, especially if she continues to uh, study about racism. But I definitely think it's important. That's why I say consistently patience, being patient and remembering that I don't think it's anybody on this call who can truthfully say that, you know, they were not confused at some point about racism, white supremacy. And I'm pretty sure no one that's on this call right now can truthfully say that, you know, if you find me at some point along my, my time on this planet, at some point, I didn't have the same information that I have now, and my behavior reflected that, that I did not have the same accurate life-saving information, and I was probably doing and saying some non-constructive things uh, that supported and helped whites continue to terrorize us. If you can kind of keep that in mind and not take that position of looking down and talking to the person like they're stupid and name color, if you can just have some patience and some empathy, if you're talking to another black person, I think that can be very, very helpful. Uh, And I think everybody did a a really solid job on that and not yelling at her and getting an attitude. Oh my God, (laughs) you're doing all that. Just asking questions, uh, having dialogue, just trying to learn and and get more details because she did have some, uh, interesting things to say, even some of the times where I pointed out to her, where I thought there were some contradictions in some of her uh, answers, but just keep that in mind. Be as patient as you possibly can with other black people and, and recognize yourself. If you're feeling, Hey, I can't be patient. You know, my nerves are just not up to it today. I don't have, I just don't have it today to be patient then, you know, Oh, well, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you at another time uh, when I can be a bit more uh, empathetic and patient in dealing with you. But that's very important. I think that was great demonstration by all we had. She was on with us for about two and a half hours. I think everybody did a great job. Thumbs up to all. Uh, We'll be back in uh, about 48 hours. Uh, Hope everybody will stay warm. If you're in one of those areas where the blizzard is uh, going nutty, uh, if you can uh, get out to Seattle, hey, it's warm up here. You can come hang out for a couple days and uh, chill out. Uh, If not, uh, we will be in touch. Send me an email if you get confused. Untiljustice at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at untiljustice. Uh, You can check out Mr. Reed's report on Clansville, USA. I put it on my Facebook page. It is posted on the Black Talk Radio network uh, and i think he has the film linked as well you can check that out on pbs it's the same name clansville usa i hope the broadcast was constructive worthy of your time and energy we will be back soon uh again sobriety would be best under conditions of terrorism sobriety would be best if you gotta do intoxicants get to one spot stay there you do not want to be out and about in your vehicle i would even say on foot Uh, You are uh, taking some chances with your life under the system of white supremacy. Sobriety would be best. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to maximize black self-respect each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up.
the man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.